up everyone welcome to yorkshire gamers elite big war games podcast episode number 10 and that's a bit of an achievement we we set out to do this uh four four and a half months ago with a, a drunken tweet about the lack of podcasts about big games uh, and here we are 10 episodes of a pilot later and we're still in business we've not been sued we've not been uh, taken off the air by the broadcasters we're still going strong and as i mentioned in the last episode we've got five guests booked in uh, for the next five episodes plus a catch-up episode and uh, potential of a magazine episode and i'm already thinking about guests going forward as far as uh, certainly november this year i've got somebody blocked booked in so uh, the growing audience that we've got, it's fantastic to see. Um, every week we're getting more followers, more listens, uh, and that's lovely to hear. So uh, if this is your first episode, welcome to Yorkshire Gamers uh, podcast. And uh, you've picked a re- good episode to uh, join us with. Today's guest is uh, John Lander. And uh, John, maybe not a name that's immediately familiar with you, but uh, my God, does this lad do big games and it's his first podcast as well uh, i think seven out of the ten guests that we've had so far have been podcast virgins uh, and that's great to see one uh, as i've said before one of the things i want to do is to get people who've maybe not had a voice in a podcast before uh, and get to chat to them and um, get their points of view on uh, the bigger game and John is definitely one um, who couldn't uh, fill us in on some stuff with that. And it was a fantastic interview. We had a right good laugh. I've probably cut about half an hour of stuff off um, that would have got us sued or banned from various places. Um, but we, it was a really good, fun, fun episode. And I hope you enjoy it as well. Uh, we um, Personally, uh, at work, it's been really, really busy. And I'm kind of a little bit behind on schedule. Um, but uh, everything is A-OK and go for the podcast staying on its current um, second and fourth weeks of the month uh, being released. Um, so not much more for me to say. I uh, hope you enjoy this episode and um, I'll be back with you in an hour or so, a couple of hours, and um, we'll have a chat at the outro. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 10 of Yark's Gamers, Elite Big War Games podcast. And after a short trip to Doncaster in the last episode, we're getting back on the Yorkshire Airlines and we're going up and away to the USA. And this is our third continent in 10 episodes, which is not bad for a country lad. There have been a couple of themes that have reoccurred during these previous episodes. Big games, of course, the War Games Holiday Centre. And if you listen closely, this lad's name came up a few times. So, with table sizes that will make your eyes water and tall tales of games gone by, let's give a huge welcome to John Lander from Yorkshire Gamers Elite Big War Games podcast. Hello, John. Hello, Ken. Nice to speak to you. Um, Been looking forward to it. Oh, good. And uh, the day is here. Oh, excellent. Well, Mark Freeth, Mark, Mark from the War Games Holiday Centre, he he bigged you up. <laughs> if if that's what the if that's what the kids are saying these days, I, I understand it may well be. Well, if um 
if Mark Free thinks I'm worthy of your time, then um, that's got to be a good thing, as he is one of life's great gentlemen. I have he, to say. He, he is. Uh, he is a fantastic guy, and I very, very much enjoyed my podcast with him. It was a, it was a cracking couple of hours. Um, yes, I listened to that. I listened to that one. And it was particularly good. But uh, Mark is one of those people that if someone tells me they don't like him, I'm instantly suspicious of their entire life. Yeah, I, I, ca- I can't see uh, a bad bone in him at all. No, and um, we just chatted and chatted and chatted. I, I probably could have done two episodes from all the bits <laughs> I cut out, <laughs> mostly talking about rubbish football teams and, and what have you. But there, there we go. Uh, we we had a very brief chat before we we came. Uh, I started recording, and um, this is your first podcast, isn't it, John? You've not done one before. I haven't. No, you're. Um, I'm a podcast virgin, and so you know, be gentle with me, and please buy me dinner afterwards. Oh well, we we, we have a reputation on the Reap Big War Games podcast of uh, of, of uh, virgins coming on. So you, you're very welcome. <laughs> you're very welcome. We're going to do a four minute challenge. We're going to get your war games history in four minutes. Um, okay. So have, have you had a little preparation for it, or I've um, I've had a little think about it. You know. Oh. Whilst, um, um, if any if any time there was any insomnia, I had a little sort of like go in my head and I, I wrote a few <laughs> notes down to because uh, I've got a terrible memory, you see. So a few notes and dates and things to make me sound intelligent. So uh, yeah, absolutely. That's what that's what we like to do. Some people have over prepared um, <laughs> and been extremely professional, whilst others have just been frankly appalling and somewhere in the middle. Oh, I'll, I'll, somewhere in the middle, I'll be pleased. Great then. Right, well, I'll set my little timer going and um, when we're getting within 30 seconds, you'll hear the music to Countdown, if you remember that. Oh, yeah. yeah and uh, and then if you go too far, good old D.I. Regan from Sweeney will tell you to shat it. <laughs> well, so- like, um, like previous people, I might have to deliberately go over just so I can hear Regan again. <laughs> well, when you're ready then, I'll three, two, one, and you are off. Okay, well, um, my history, I mean, it probably mirrors a lot of people's, but um, my first memories of wargaming was my um, my older brother, sadly, um, um, lost him end of last year, but he gave me one of those small hardback books by Charles Grant, Introduction to Wargaming. Yeah. Um, and it was, pub- I think I seem to remember it being published by Map Books or something. It was a small little A5, A5 I think, book, and it was called Introduction to Wargaming. And in it, it had lots of shots of, classic airfix figures and there was rules in it for ancients then horse and musket and then world war ii and that just really sort of kicked me off and i like a lot of people of our era i bought a lot of airfix and uh, the tanks and the the ready-made soft plastic 172nd scale things they used to make and which go for a fortune on ebay now um and um there was like uh, using for instance um britain's baby elephants as war elephants for the uh, for the ancient sets and lots of things about converting um the Sheriff of Nottingham set into generic medievals and all sorts of things that uh, really have just sort of stayed with me, the idea of converting stuff into other stuff. And then uh, I played some American Civil War games because that was quite a big range by Airfix at the time. And I remember converting um, the French Foreign Legion set into Zouaves and things like this <laughs> and all sorts of things that my my brother actively encouraged me to do. And uh, and at that age, always wondering what the hell banana oil was and how everybody else seemed to have access to it. And I had no idea what was going on. So that was my introduction, was that and the Airfix games, um, uh, playing games on, the, on my mum's my kitchen table with Airfix figures, the same as probably a lot of people, actually. Uh, and then there was a, a great big gap 
um, of a fair few years, which um, I don't really want to go into too much. But uh, after that, when I came back, it was um, via a friend of mine, uh, Chris Cornwall, who does a lot with Mark Freeth. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff. Uh, great guy. One of one of my one of my busy mates, I'd have to say, is Chris Cornwall. Um, and I was like getting into twenty eight mil Napoleonics, um, and this led via a lot of strings and turns to um, WRG rules, which I didn't really like very much. And then um, I found an old copy of the Grand Manor rules in the Grand Manor, and I thought this is what I like. This looks great. Big units, lots of battalions. So I started just painting some. Um, on a surf figures um, because they just seem to have a lot of sort of style and movement and flash to them, which I still really think they do, even with all the endless golden age stuff that we live in now of uh, Napoleonic figures. I still like a lot of the old connoisseur stuff. So, and the, the Grand Manor rules led me and Chris inevitably to the Wargame Holiday Centre in Scarborough at the time. Um, and I went, I never went during the Peter Gilder days. I was after that. I went during the, uh, the Jerry Elliott and the the, live, the, um, the sadly now deceased legend that is Mike Ingham. Mm. Again, another superbly lovely man. Um, and I used to go to the Holiday Centre in Scarborough um, for quite a few games. I played most of the, the big Napoleonic games up there. And it just made me paint up more and more of my Russian army at the time, I believe. And my friend Chris was doing Prussians and my other friend Boot was doing um, Austrians and we were all doing French. And so we had some some big games of that. And um, that sort of led to my love of the, the big games of uh, Grand Manor. And it sort of inspired me to uh, dip my toe into bigger games of my own sort of thing. Um, in parallel with that, I played then some World War II crossfire games with uh, Artie Conniff's great game of no rules, no movement rates, no rulers. And... Um, that led on to another whole thing, which I'll touch on again later. Um, and our, after that was um, Wars of the Roses games with Bloody Barons by Peter Pig. Um, and that leads me up to the present day with some 40K mixed in and some 40K apocalypse again for the big games, which I like. Um, and so that's my history. It's not as long as some people's, but... Um, Brilliant. You, know, you, 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 uh, you, you speeded up a bit towards the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we'll cover we'll cover quite a lot of the of, of you what you've you've spoke about there anyway. I just I just like to pe put people under a little bit of pressure at the start. <laughs> uh, a couple of people have just gone airfix figures painting big table. <laughs> and it's kind of like well you've got you've got three hour, three minutes fifty seconds left. Do you want to do any more? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think a lot of people have our our, our age and era, Airfix was pretty much all there was, you know. Yeah. And um, so a lot of all our initial forays into gaming was lining up Airfix painted with, you know, glossy yeah. motion paints that your parents had lying around, you know, that sort of thing. So without without giving away your age and your, your date of birth and your, your PIN number for your, your bank card, <laughs> just roughly how old are you? I, I, I am, um, let's be, let's be... Um, suitably vague so i'm in my early 50s early 50s i like you yeah. didn't go you didn't go for mid no you, no, no. You went for early good i like that I it, like it'll that. it'll be technically mid next year <laughs> <laughs> oh um where, whereabouts in the uk were you from then uh, i was from cambridge um and we're speaking today to you in kentucky aren't we we are uh, indeed yes in, in yes. the in usa so that cambridge to kentucky um 
via the War Games Holiday Centre. That's yes. a, that's a, that's a, a long way. I, just if you, if you don't mind, how did you end up in Kentucky? It's a, it's like a bad film on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon on BBC Four <laughs> or something like Our Man in Kentucky. And uh, no, I used to I used to work for um, an aircraft firm called Gulfstream. They do all the the private jets and the corporate jets, and they used to send me to America for training courses for sort of six weeks at a time, two or three times a year, which was uh, which was great fun, really good fun. We used to get all the work done, and then you know you're you're on like a per diem in a in a holiday town. It was great fun, yeah. and I, I met a girl there, and um, she was um, a lot younger than me, way out of my league, absolutely beautiful. Um, and she was originally from Kentucky. We met in Savannah, and she moved back to Kentucky, mm. and we just we just got together, um, chucked up my my job in uh, England, um, sadly sold off most of my collection of, of uh, Napoleonics to various people, to um, some of the whole War Games Holiday Centre. They took a lot of them, and other people <laughs> took a lot of them. They, they spread themselves around the world quite a bit. And I sold up most of my collection of figures, to be fair, and I moved <laughs> over to Kentucky. And I um, got married to this uh, um, American girl, and uh, that was in 2016, I think. Um, that which was great fun. I mean, you know, it was it was a, a proper big midlife crisis yeah. move. You know, I didn't go for the uh, the sports car or the motorbike or the growing stupid hair. Went for the uh, the adorable younger wife, and we had a great time. But sadly, that um, flamed out exactly yeah. uh, the beginning of this year. So I'm now um, a man in Kentucky, um, a divorced man in Kentucky, um, enjoy, enjoying life. It's it's great here. I mean, I'm having a great time. I'm, but uh, with all the COVID and what have you, yeah. I, I wasn't allowed home for a long time. So I'm going to sort of take this year and see if I stay or if I go back home or, you know, we'll see what, what happens really, see if I can afford the bills on my um, my current job later on. So we just sort of a bit of a wait and see, really. I'm not making any promises, never say never, you know, and see what goes on. So that, that finds me now in Kentucky. So with, with that, have you thought? Have you thought of sending that story to Nashville? Because there's got to be a couple of uh, country and western songs in that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a couple of times um, I sit here. I'm sort of like sitting here of an evening, and uh, uh, especially, I mean, not wish to get too political, but especially the last four years, I'm sitting here thinking, especially in Kentucky, think to myself, what on earth am I doing? <laughs> I I I think if you pitch the idea to Garth Brooks for a concept album about a lad from Cambridge who comes over yeah. to Savannah, meets a beautiful young lady, gets married and settles down, yeah. I think I think I think you've got a hit record there, mate. With that. A hit record or a very bad ITV4 drama. <laughs> I think I think the storylines are the same in both. To be honest, <laughs> very very close, very close. Um, did you? Uh, I think I read on your. I've been having a look through your Facebook uh, thing. Did you get? Did you get COVID? Were you poorly for? A I while? did. Yes. It's, um, sadly, I I caught it the same sort of about the same time, the same sort of weekend that my my wife moved out and all the divorce was happening. So oh, it was a pretty. Hell. It was a pretty manky few weeks, I have to say. But luckily, I, I caught a very minor dose of it, nothing respiratory or stuff that can really... Um, but I just um, ached every single bone in my body. Ached. I couldn't get out of bed. I had to sort of roll onto my front and spider crawl out of bed and crawl into mm. the kitchen and uh, um, try and make myself something to eat. And it was just a horrible sort of two or three weeks. And then just um, basically, I, I spoke to the... Uh, the medical authorities over here and they said well don't go to hospital because they're overflowing um um stay at home 
home, drink lots of water, take tablets to keep your, your temperature down. And I had to fill out this online thing every day that came from the, uh, the disease control people and take my temperature and let them know and all that sort of things. So they sort of monitored me remotely, really. Um, so as, as COVID, as COVID, because I know that the health system is very, very different over there. Has, oh, COVID, has COVID been dealt with as a, everyone gets free care for it? Or yes, it... well, they, they did. Everyone got, um, all the vaccinations were free. All the tests were free. Yeah. And it seemed to um, freak a lot of people out. They're going, hey, this is free. This is, you know, you go and get Isn't it. this really good? <laughs> insurance and you can just go and get it. And, I was, and I'm there going, yes, this is what the rest of Europe is like all the time. <laughs> And it's nice, isn't it? Not having to worry about it. They're going, oh, oh, yeah, this is great. You know, I go, oh my God, I feel like I'm doing missionary work over here. <laughs> well, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe it'll change things over there. Uh, I'm sure for the sure for the better. It could do. But I'm I'm all vaccinated up now and all fit and well. And um, yeah, so you know, it's okay. And um, we'll talk about your gaming life in the UK a bit later on. But have you had, have you had chance to? Um, or game do any gaming in in the US? Oh uh, yes, actually, I, I I fell on my feet a little bit. Um, mm. I went to a a local uh, gaming shop, gaming store, I suppose I should call it really to keep in with the locals. They have had a lot of um, a lot of games going on. It's a very quite a big big shop, and it's got a lot of uh, gaming tables at the back. And I got a chance to see like a quite a big wide cross section of what's popular in America gaming wise. Mm. And, uh, and then I took some of my stuff down there. And uh, um, for instance, my big Wars of the Roses collection with the, the gorgeous Perry plastics and metal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and people were like, well, you know, English medievals. Whoa, let's go. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I dived in with that with at the aforementioned Bloody Barons rules, which from Peter P, which are very, very British in style of writing and, mm. and mechanics and that sort of thing. And so... People down the, uh, the the local gaming store in in uh, Lexington, where I live in in Kentucky, mm. they uh, they took them straight away. And so I often put on games using all the scenarios in the back of the rule book. And sometimes I'll marry it up to a, an actual anniversary of some of the the, the bigger battles and things like that. And mm. um, and yeah, so I I sort of contributed some of that. And uh, I also do some World War One air gaming which was purely an excuse for me to paint some old air thick World War One <laughs> aircraft, which I, I never could do justice in my youth. So yeah. I, I made up a set of rules um, called, um, rather darkly, um, Empty Chairs in the Mess, they were called. Oh, and well, yeah. They had a sort of campaign system where you started off as young snotty. Uh, on that's, the a, that, that's, a, that's another track for your country in Western Ireland. Yeah, exactly, right? yes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually know of it. was building all that. <laughs> and so I did some World War One air gaming with uh, French and British and some German stuff. And um, that was great fun. And people took to that as well. So they're sort of one of these projects that bubbles away in the background. And I'll write another few little bits to them now and again sort of thing. And mm. then I got to see what, what the... Um, the Americans like to game, yeah, and um, it, you know it's it's not that different, really. I mean, I think we're all gamers separated by you know a common ocean or whatever mm. it is they say. Uh, but there's they do a lot of obviously there's a lot of um, uh, war of independence games. They're very into that, um, or the or revolutionary war as they call it over there. I called it AWI, and they didn't really know what I was on about. <laughs> um, and ACW, of course, to the Americans you, is just, is just you, CW because they, they yeah. have their own. Civil did, you, war, you know. did you not call it insurrection or something like I that? Just to really wind them up. Low, I did call it the uh, ungrateful colonists, you know, 
thirteen or something. <laughs> I remember. I remember a friend of mine. He's back in the UK now, but he was he lived in Austin, Texas for a, for quite a long time, and they tried to get him on a jury, um, and he just said, "No, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it." And they were about to lock him up, um, and he and he said, "Look, look, please, please have a look at your history books. We had a, we had a war about English people." Um, been uh, judging Americans and I can't be on your jury. I'd love to, but I, I just can't. I'm afraid history precludes it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's an excuse yeah. if you ever need it. No, they have, I say a lot of um, war, a lot of revolutionary war, independence mm. war, you call it a lot of those games. A lot of Ameri- um, the sort of American Texas, yeah, that sort of thing. They have a lot of that going on. Lots of American Civil War games, obviously, mm. um, because also Lexington and Kentucky and all that having a lot of um, stuff nearby where actual battles went on. Um, but as as gamers and people, you know, the the language is very common and the the attitude is very common, and it's a uh, I found it a great way to sort of um, get to know people. Um, and yeah, and then they've they've. They're a great bunch of guys. I should um, shout out um, Battleforge store in Lexington because they're a great bunch of guys and they made me very welcome straight away, basically. And yeah. uh, there were some, some World War II stuff, um, the American War of Independence, ACW. There's a lot of um, a lot of the 40K stuff goes on and the Age of Sigma games that go on. And there's some great painters down there. And I've managed to um, get a lot of commission work Ah, my painting stuff which we'll come yeah. on to later yeah. um, down there as well and um, and yeah a great bunch of guys and I've been to a couple of other shops and places around and um, and yeah it's uh, there's there's more that there's more the same than than is different I'll leave it at that shall mm. we say over here we, we tend to have a like an old school club network and we, we we're getting more uh, of of game stores with tables in now, um, yeah. which I've noticed over the years. So, uh, is there a club network in the US, or is it is it mostly in in store gaming? It's well, um, it's it seems to me to be mainly stores with tables and shops are clubs, you know, and yeah. um, but you can sort of go in there anytime you like and just set up a game if you if you've organised it with a couple of friends, and there's like a always a lot going on Wednesday nights. There's a lot of games going over the weekends. People go and have some of the larger games, which I, I've obviously given mm. the uh, full nature of this podcast. <laughs> I've towards. Yeah. Are you paying for, do you like pay per hour on the table or is it a, is it a membership scheme? or? No, no, it's, it's all just completely free. Oh, wow. Wow. That is good. <laughs> it is great because um, I, I think the way they see it is that people spend in the shop part of the shop and then game in the game part of the, of the shop, you know. So yeah. it's just all free. It's very casual. I mean, I've been to two or three and I've not had, there's been no like uh, fees or anything like that or subscri- subscription. Yeah, that, or, yeah that's, a, that's an interesting business model because I've noticed um, there's a shop in, in Stirling in Scotland called Common Ground Games that started this business model or probably six or seven years ago, maybe even longer. And I just happened to see it when I was on holiday. Um, and there they like have a, an hourly fee for the table and then you have to buy a drink every two hours or something. It's, it, right. it's like, a, so they're, they're bringing in money through that rather, yeah. rather, rather than just relying on, on uh, shop sales. Um, oh, so, so yeah. So I, I didn't realize it was, it, the tables were free. And the, no, it's, it's, it's all free. And they, they have like a, a fridge full of, uh, full of drinks and stuff and you pay like a dollar for a drink or something. And, uh, 
um, which is quite good when you're if you're gaming a long day. Yeah. When we oh, come on, to, I no doubt we'll come on to some of the war games, holy central stuff. And, uh, <laughs> it can be a physical slog sometimes. It really can. So uh, so yeah, so stuff like that, and it's it's quite it's quite casual. Um, yeah. And I like it. It's it's very nice. I mean, I was um, in England. I was a member of the Huntingdon War Games Club, mm. who uh, who played a large part in my gaming life, and uh, still friends of them all, obviously. And uh, we used to meet once a week at a place in Huntingdon, and uh, the Huntingdon and District War Games Society. So we, all, we always have brilliant them. names for our clubs, don't we? Oh yeah. So um, so yeah. So I used to go there every week and put on. I had a lot of games on there. It was quite a thriving club, and I hope it's still gonna pick up again after you know after the lockdown has um has gone yeah they can carry on again because they they have also helped me out with a lot of big games at shows and stuff so i shall uh i shall discuss and shout out those people later no doubt well that, that, that's yeah, that's just brought me on to an interesting topic of um dull and boring names for british wargaming clubs um <laughs> because i because I, I i started off in the, the northwich war game society in cheshire um, yeah. and then i i came over to leeds in the 80s and i've been a member of leeds war games club yeah um the only one with an even vaguely exciting name i can think of was mailed fist um, oh, yes, yeah. they were kind of uh, manchester north manchester yeah. but apart from that it's all durham war game society and yeah, quite <laughs> come on people i think, I think, it, it, um, I think it, it points to the a whole british psyche i mean if you had like mailed fist gaming club or you, if you have the mailed fist gaming yeah. club a lot of people's instant reaction is uh it all sounds a bit stupid doesn't it you know yeah and uh, i think it also strikes to things like um bizarrely like the americans call it operation desert storm you know we called it operation granby you know i mean um it's just the sort of under understated nature of british people that we don't see certain things as being relevant to um outlandishness shall we say there's certain things you just don't really care about you know yeah well, I, I, club, I, I think you know? i think there's a number of um number of campaigns that have started as a result of this podcast um and a campaign for more exciting war game clubs names <laughs> uh it's, 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 uh, it's definitely what i'm going to put on i'm going to have a banner made up and um, i think and mark... you should i mean i mean there's it's it's crying out for it because of, of the dice thing you know the high rollers i mean it's crying yeah. out for, for adding that in there you know the the rotherham rollers or something mm. <laughs> sound like a, a bad football team yeah it's uh it's like uh I, I don't know if you're familiar with rugby league but for for years and years it, it's always been a a bitter and a pie pie kind of half-time thing and then they turned it into like the leeds rhinos and the warrington yes, wolves yes, and, right, yeah, but, and all that sort of show. yeah mm. yeah so, i'm not sure how i feel about that <laughs> Which probably go, you know, comes around full circle to what we were saying. I, I, my defenses instantly go up. Oh, I'm not too sure about that, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So we, we t I take this this uh, first section as an opportunity to talk about things that probably won't come up later on. Um, and uh, you've mentioned what you mentioned in passing quite a few of the ones that I was gonna gonna have a quick chat about. Uh, and the first one you mentioned was um, painting commissions. Is that um, something that you do quite a bit of? Uh, yes, it's it's actually my job. It's my only job. When I first came over here, I I sold my house um, near in a little village near Cambridge, obviously for a huge amount of money given mm. where the location. Yeah, and I sold it completely um, furnished, so it got more money for that. It was like leaving them leaving the Marie Celeste. It's just like <laughs> I just walked out with a bag of clothes and left left it for the next people. Yeah. So um, so I bought I bought a house over here because it's a lot cheaper. 
Um, and then I was sort of like just thinking, well, what, can I, what should I do for a job? My wife was working. Yeah. And um, I brought some of my, my figures and stuff with me. And she goes, oh, these are lovely. Did you paint these? Because she knows nothing about game. Yeah. And I was like, um, yeah, I did. She goes, oh, you, you could, you know, do this for a living. I was going, well, don't be daft. Of course I can't. <laughs> She's going, well, have a go at it. She goes, you know, you're not doing anything. See what happens. Hmm. So, um, so I did. So I got some business cards printed up. And um, um, I formed uh, Battlebrush, which is my painting company. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, I got a few, the first couple of commissions from guys at the local game store. So I've got myself a Facebook page and I've posted all lots, lots of stuff and all sorts of things on there. And it's just, um, I wouldn't say it's exploded, but it's just been gradually building up year on year on year. And I've got probably now half a dozen, I would say half a dozen regulars, makes me sound like some sort of junior <laughs> night <walker. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I've got some um, really good customers who, I enjoy working for, and it, it's been five years now, I think, four or five years, something like yeah. that. And it's still not a chore or a job. Um, and I still really enjoy it. And I get a lot of variety of um, different commissions. And I do also basing up, and I do uh, terrain pieces and scratch build buildings. I do all sorts, yeah. of, all sorts of things. And I've got some, I say, some really good customers. So, I say I'm never going to be on the uh, the FTSE 100s or anything. It's not a money. I'm not, I don't make a huge amount of money, but I also, the same degree, I don't need to make a huge amount of money. I've done all. I say with the aircraft industry stuff, I was had, had a a big wage, but it was a huge amount of pressure. I used to basically stamp off aircraft as fit to fly and all that sort mm. of thing and take all the responsibility. And I'm sort of done with that now. So I'm I'm and also my. My commute is like 12 yards, which is great. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, perfect. so, yeah, so it's sort of, um, it's bubbling along nicely. I'm making some money and stuff. And I'm just about, actually, I'm, I can uh, shamelessly plug myself. I'm just about to start a new business as well, which ah. is um, making, um, let's call them gothic retro sci-fi models in resin, like a kit company. Ah, okay. Um, so I'm just sort of about to release my first about to release my first release i'm about to release my first model um, yep. and then we'll see how that goes and i'm just sort of doing that as a sideline to it as well and my uh obviously because that's in america you have to, everyone has to do all their own taxes and stuff there's no, there's no p45 p60 at the end of the year <laughs> so i was talking with a tax man who prepares my taxes for me and he goes well he goes officially now you are a ceo of an international group of companies ah, i was like yeah. well check me out and he goes, That's great. i can do lots of tax breaks for you and all sorts of things and uh, so i'm a you know i'm a i'm a fat capitalist pig now well and, and, and you've got uh you've got contacts in the private jet industry as well haven't you for... <laughs> it's a shame actually that i i left that job because i never wanted for masking tape paint yeah paint brushes all sorts of weird exotic um filler <laughs> materials that i could use to sculpt terrain with which was absolutely incredible yeah. and about you know ten thousand pounds a tin which used to run out of date very quickly and i just whisk it off home and i built all my terrain for the big games which are probably you'll see on the photographs that are slowly scrolling by as we're talking and yeah. I, yeah all this material i got an accident i mean i had to go out a few weeks ago because i'd finally run out of two inch masking tape after all these years <laughs> i had to go out and buy some masking tape and it, it nearly broke me inside i tell you <laughs> So the this this model that you're bringing out then is it for a specific game system or um, well for... I'm I'm wary of um of saying yes but let's call it a gothic style retro sci-fi model and leave it at that shall we 
I think I, I think I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, that brings that brings me neatly onto the next thing on my list. Then after painting commissions, seamless, seamless, almost almost like I planned it and written it down before. Um, as I say, I, I'm not stalking you. Obviously, um, our research is what I call it and on your Facebook, and um, a lot of the stuff you've painted is sci-fi stuff. Um, is that customer driven or is that an interest. I mean, it obviously, it sounds like it is an interest. Um, well, it, to be fair, it's mainly customer driven. People say I do paint a lot of sci-fi stuff. Um, yeah. And at the moment, actually, I'm doing a, a huge commission for a very good customer of mine um, for a game system, all quiet on the Martian front. I think. Did you have a couple of three um, um, Martian walkers done, yeah. on there? Um, I've they got were a, very a, nice. I've got a big commission to do. Painting up like you know Martian tripods and sort of fifteen mil steam powered World War One tanks with Tesla guns and all oh, sorts of wow. weird stuff on them, but they're great fun. And yeah. um, I paint. It was a bit of a challenge because I I painted the the sort of Martian tripods. They're about sort of like six seven inches high, and I painted them like they were in a fifties black and white B movie. <laughs> so I used a, a palette of sort of like muted silvers and blacks and things like that. So they looked like they were in black and white. If you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that was quite a challenge. But um, to your earlier question, yes, I just get a lot of 40, like 40K stuff mainly and lots of Age of Sigma stuff, but mainly 40K. I do get a lot of it to paint. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long time ago now, but I, I did commissioning painting for four or five years in the early 90s. Yeah. And, and having that big client um, or big clients uh, certainly helps, doesn't it? Because you can then spread oh, out yes. stuff yeah. over the months and yeah. you know that... Uh, if as long as I paint these two units this month and those two next, I've got a steady income. And, and yes, with no, other it's good. People. Also, with with him being a steady income, I I go a bit of the extra mile and I'll do some conversions and I'll do some other stuff and bits and bobs. Um, because he's a great client and he 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 always pays me on time. There's never any problems and what have you. So it it works for him as well because I I just I, I hate to say I go the extra mile. It sounds a bit not. <laughs> Do I do do a you know again back to the same analogy? I do you know he's one of my regulars and I do give him extras. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, we, this list of songs for your album we, we've got I've got I've got I've got I've got twelve customers queuing at the back door, and, and um, I I give I give my regulars extras, which yeah, exactly. is. Uh, I think I think we've got side we've got side one done now definitely definitely we certainly have yes <laughs> he so, he said I was the only one so I gave him more paint yeah exactly <laughs> I gave him an extra an extra layer of dry brushing quite yes <laughs> so yeah um did, did you do commission work bef before you went to the states did you used to paint or have you done anything um, before? No, I think, I mean, once or twice, maybe, but only for friends and then for, like, not very much money or not really. No, not not to, definitely not to the extent I do now. Because I say now it's um, it's like my my income. It's my profession now. So uh, so this new client came in who was actually bizarre enough, dragging it back to um, other people. He was a friend of Mark Freeth's. So and Mark Freeth ah. said, oh, if you're in America, look this guy, John, up. He's, you know, he's good because... Mark's one of my cheerleaders on Facebook. He's always sharing my stuff. I do the same with him and his uh, his War Games Holiday Center things. I always share it on so that he can get more more customers and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, so um, we both share the same clients. That could be the, the B side of one of the trucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Sorry, a lot, you got a lot of your figures are at the Holiday Center, aren't they? 
That's, uh, that's a, I wouldn't say a lot. There's, there's a fair few of them because I had a big um, Napoleonic Russian army and a French mm. army, and um, I sold a lot. Of, I didn't sell a lot of the stuff because I painted a lot of it when I wasn't anywhere near as good as I am now. But Mark took some of my nicer stuff because mm. um, it was when I was doing all this um, selling off. It's when he he had the uh, he had the holiday center down in near Basingstoke Way, yeah. where he uh, he lives, obviously. And he had a lot of my Russian stuff off me. And it's nice to see it occasionally in photographs, you know, still stamping over the uh, the, uh, the worlds of uh, Leipzig. And, and, well, he, he, uh, does seem, he does seem to photograph them quite a lot, Mark. Oh, he, they're he, always yeah, on. I think, he's, uh, I think he's just, you know, he's just hopeless, hopelessly devoted to me, to quote Olivia <laughs> 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 Oh, we're getting a theme, we're getting a theme. <laughs> Uh, they, oh dear. <laughs> uh, I, I did I did some painting for the holiday centre when Jerry and Mike had it. Um, and um, one of the things I, I want to do is um, when I bob down to um, the new location is, is to have a look through the racks and see if I can find them. Yes. Um, no, see if they're still there. Yeah. That, that would be nice. To, that would be would be nice. But, um, um, no, that that the holiday centre is um, I think a definite mecca for um, for big gamers. It's where. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, got their inspirations. Oh, and, that... and when I was listening to your conversation with Mark, obviously he was saying that he walked in there and saw the Borodino battlefield laid out, and I had pretty much the same experience, I have yeah. to say. And the first like weekend of um, uh, running, say, a corps of 20 or 30 battalions, each one 30 to 40 men strong with a, with a attendant artillery and cavalry, it's a, it's a big thing, you know. It's, um, it is, yeah, it is. And the game... The, you know, on your feet for like a whole weekend and just the, the, the concentration and all this sorting out. It's you know the drive back on a Sunday night or back down south again was always like quite a trial, I have to say. <laughs> but also because you see all these these friends of yours, you go out and you perhaps have too many beers. And um I mean I've got stories about myself and Mark and Chris Corman mm. and all that, and we used to go and do just re- stupid things around Scarborough. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, I, I, for ages and yeah, I think what, what what happens at the War Games holiday centre stays at the War Games holiday. I think it has center, to do. There's, there's stories about going to dubious clubs and pretending to be Russians, and oh man, it's just nonsense, <laughs> absolute nonsense. <laughs> so uh, pretending to be a Russian that could be another album title. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so it was a whole encompassing thing with the game as its centre, but you got to see all these people, and I've made a lot of a lot of really good friends um, who I. Who I would literally just see at the holiday centre, mm. and um, and of all that long weekend, it was a uh, quite a trial. I remember I did uh, a couple of the the campaigns, the week long campaigns. Obviously, it was when uh, when Mike Ingham really sort of came alive. He loved doing the campaigns, and uh, he really got into doing all the. the it sounds very dull, but it's not. He got into doing all the the paperwork between each game, how the campaign yeah. was evolving yeah. and stuff like that. And I found it all fascinating. So I went there with. Um, uh, Chris Cornwall and the recently sadly departed Herbert Herbert Grant. Yes, uh, I saw that. I saw that. Man. Man. Yeah. Yeah. And the three of us um, shared a, a hotel room for a week in this uh, in the little Sylvanian hotel we used to stay in. And it was just like a, a sort of a three boy frat dorm room for a week. You know, yeah. we were like washing socks and hanging them up. <laughs> <laughs> and then the three of us then. Little Herbert's in his romper suit doing his press ups in the morning. There's his little pink bum going up and down. I'm going, what the hell's going on? Here? <laughs> Chris is mumbling because he wants to go out. He wants to go out and get a cigarette, but we're on like the fifth floor and the windows don't open, you know. Oh, and so no. we had that for a week. And then we also had like, um, a, like nearly a dozen games all fit into it. But at the end of the week, we were absolutely exhausted. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. 
okay. as it should be. You know? Yeah, exactly. So if you if you were picking your uh, favourite period to game, then um, would would that come back to Holiday Centre and Napoleonics? Or? I, I think so. Yeah, Fure, purely for the um, again, I'm not overstating but the, the splendour of the whole thing with the flags and the uh, and I, I like I like order. So all the you know straight lines, right angles, columns, all this sort of thing. But all of that having to fit over an, an undulating terrain, and, yeah. uh, and the, the the multitude of things you have to think about when you're defending villages and trying to also trying to fit because um, they were very clever at the holiday centre. They would like have woods which were five cavalry figures wide, the gaps between them, and your cavalry squad six. six figures <laughs> and stuff like that, which um, little subtleties, which meant of course all those little five man Russian Cossack squadrons could just yeah through like and um and lots of all the things you have to think about and the the old adage that it's like chess with a thousand pieces it's um it's actually true because there's so much to think about yeah um that i used to like i used to i mean again it sounds a bit overblown i used to enjoy the just the mental challenge you know of and when, when you did a, a plan and something happened and something happened and these figures got there just in the nick of time and these figures the, the enemy figures would retreat and you happen to have your light cavalry within charge distance of retreating enemy and just, you know, hacking down poor innocent metal figures. It just, <laughs> just gave you some relief, you know, <laughs> when it all worked out, which it rarely did. I mean, I, yeah. I got my got my uh, my derriere handed to me by uh, Steve Scott and Dave Doherty and lots of other people down there many, yeah. many times. <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, you can't physically have have any more figures routing it's like um, yeah the whole lot's going i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> now you're in the states have you managed to build up any collections of stuff yourself um because you said you um, sold most of them off well, i sold most of my stuff off i did also sell off my i had a large wars of the roses army well two wars of the roses armies yeah side and i sold those off to um a guy in the war games uh the huntington war games club um a guy called nigel a good, yeah. good friend of mine and when I got over here, I really missed them more than anything else. And so mm. I phoned up Nigel and said, look, is there any way I could buy them back off you? <laughs> and Nigel, being the um, absolute king of men that he is, yeah. um, sold them all back to me because I think he just um, caught the desperation in my voice. Brilliant. <laughs> and um, so he sold them all back to me and then boxed them all, all up. And so I got you know, a huge package arrived with, um, with my Wars of the Roses army back in it. So I've still got my big Wars of the Roses army. Um, but I've got um, some 20 mil crossfire World War II mm. stuff, which I painted while I was over here. Yeah. And I've recently got into doing some of the the large Warhammer 40k games, the Apocalypse Rules, they're called. And they're like yeah. for, they are for big games because I played a game of the normal 40k and it just it just seemed like a, a skirmish game, an excuse mm. to roll huge amounts of dice for not very much really happening. Yeah. Apologies to all the 40k games, but it, it wasn't for me. And I, but I thought, oh, I don't really like this. But there was a game going on, um, a big like six foot by fifteen foot, I think it was, yeah. in one of the the back rooms, as it were. And I looked at there, went, oh, this looks this looks good. What's going on here? And there was like all the larger tanks of the, the sort of bipedal, sort of two foot high titans and all this stuff going on. And it's far more epic and apocalyptic looking. I thought this looks great. So I, I like sat in on that, and it was far more what I was after. It was more about organisations and formations, and your individual superpower character having a 
handheld twin overhead brill cream dispenser yep. didn't really make any difference. It's more about <laughs> the large armies. And I thought, well, my lad, my lad has done a bit of um, games workshop. But, um, it's something I ventured into uh, once um, with the um, now infamous Tetley bit of Space Marines. Yeah. And um, I'd pasted up a squad um, and they'd all got the Tetley bit of uh, badge on the shoulder pads and everything and painted <laughs> painted up in the colours of, of the can and, and apparently I wasn't taking it seriously enough oh dear so uh, I, I didn't I, I, I actually sold them off in a box full of bits so they, uh, they we mentioned this in a an interview I did a couple of years ago. Um, so they are out there somebody, somewhere. So if you if you've got my Tetley bit of Space Marines, I'm thinking of doing. I'm thinking of re, redoing them because uh, I've I've learned how to make my own decals, which is pretty dangerous. Ah, there you go. Um, so the Tetley, I, I just need some donor figures. <laughs> yeah, <quite. laughs> and, and uh, I'll do. I'll redo them. I'll redo them. Um, exactly. So um, just before we move on, then to to the next section, I just finished the introduction off um, with um, the the Venn diagram of wargaming. Um, okay. Do you remember the Venn diagrams? Oh, absolutely. Oh, brilliant. Well, um, each person has a different personality, obviously, when it comes to to wargaming, and. I've broken it down into wargamer, painter, collector, historian. Uh, how do you see yourself fitting in those different categories Ooh. and how do they fit together? How do I fit on this um, this spectrum? This imaginary uh, well, Venn diagram. Yeah, well, painter obviously would have to come first because that's my job. But if we're talking purely sort of uh, recreational, mm. I suppose I'm painter, gamer, historian. What was the fourth one? Collector. Yes, that's it. I'm collector last because um, yeah. I only ever buy stuff to paint. You know, I don't. If I buy like an old, I mean, people got some people on on um, Facebook got very upset with me once because I bought <laughs> um, an old 40k blister pack because I wanted the figures in it, and so. Um, oh, and you opened? Did you open it in yeah, front of them? I just I just ripped it open and oh. painted the figures. And, Oh, there's been the people had crying a, a week later, you know, and people <laughs> genuinely were like, going, This isn't what you should be doing. I'm going, This is exactly what you should be doing with them, you know, make them fulfill their destiny. <laughs> so, yeah, no, so yeah, I'm not really a collector, yeah. um, but I like, I enjoy painting stuff for myself as well as for uh, yeah. um, my job. And I, I, I love the gaming aspect of it. Um, not much that, of a collector. Yeah. And his historian, um, I'm, I'm okay history wise. I know. I know enough to I know it's to say I know enough to get out of an argument about it and get um, on to but, something more important. I haven't I don't think I've told this story on on this podcast but we we've had we had a guy who was stalking us for years um the Yorkshire Gamer group because I put um scenario posts and game posts up. Um and we called him Palm Tree Man because he in um we were playing a a desert game and um he he he, his his complaint was that um, there was no palm trees in the desert. Okay, and um, we we just kind of just ignored it for a while, yeah. and then the thir- about the third or fourth game that I posted up, um, he's back on again. You've got palm trees, and there's no palm trees in the desert. Well, I was ready because I've uh, I've had um, some experience of the legal system over my year, over yeah. my years, and. Um, um, I'd got a photograph of the, um, it was an Italian fort during Op Compass in 1940-41. And um, I got a picture of the fort that we were fighting over and there was palm trees outside it. (laughs) 
And so I put that up. And uh, his response, which I shall remember forever, was, um, I think you will find that there are five palm trees in your photograph and six on your table. Oh, God's sake. <laughs> so now, um, if, you, if you look closely on any of the stuff that we post on Yorkshire Gamer, any of the games that we play, um, there is always a palm tree. <laughs> Somewhere on that table, if you look closely enough, You'll find a palm tree. <laughs> and that, that's our little reminder and our little giggle. Uh, oh, fantastic. And I do, I do often wonder what he's, what he's doing. You know, if, yeah, he, if yeah. he's just like flicking through the internet and, and going, why is, there, why is there a palm tree in that um, 16th century Italian wars exactly. game set in northern well, it's, Italy? It's, it's sadly the inability of anybody on Facebook to say, actually, I was wrong. You were right. Well done. <laughs> And I've done it myself a few times. I said, I was absolutely wrong. You were correct. Well done. <laughs> and people just like freak out about that. They assume that you're just like taking the mickey or something. You go, well, yeah. well done. I was actually wrong. There should yeah. be more of it on Facebook. You know, people yeah. admitting they're wrong and moving on. Yeah. And, and people having sense of humour because most, yes. most, <laughs> most fail very quickly, unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. And the same with a lot of gamers who just take things. I mean, there was a lot, obviously... Um, Dragging us back to Mr. Freeth again, he was mm. saying on your on the the episode he did with you about how he has to deal with every facet of gaming yeah. and overly competitive. I've seen people, I've played against a couple of people who just blatantly cheating. You know, the old mm. rolling the dice behind a village and telling you what they were and all this sort of thing. And then usually, like um, uh, Jerry Elliott or somebody, will just wander over to my side of the table and just sort of hang around a bit as an umpire, and it all stops. You know. And um, and you wonder what what is it in your life that makes you want to cheat at toy soldiers, you know? Yeah. Did you um, did, did you ever meet anyone who did the artillery limber shuffle? Oh yes, yes. The, the, the when you when you snake <laughs> the artillery across the table and get all the extra moves out. Oh uh, yeah. So you you, you for the, for those listeners who aren't aware of this uh, this cheating <laughs> cheat, cheating move in Napoleonics, what you do is when you are limbering your battery, you've got a battery set up, so you you're going to limber it up and move it. So you set your limber up in front in the direction that you're going to travel, and instead of measuring from your battery, you measure from the front of the limber. So in twenty <laughs> in twenty eight mil, that's it's going to be a Thought, isn't it at least yeah. a foot and then and then you unlimber from unlimber from the front of the battery and you unlimber from the front, the front. Yeah. yeah so you turn the limber around and you get an extra foot and yes. then you yeah so we, we've given that little that little cheat secret away now so it, it's probably a good time for us to take a break before we uh we we, we ruin any more people's games uh and we'll be back in a second with a chat about big games Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're we're back, and um, before we before we ended up in a in a crown court somewhere with something we said on the previous end, on the end <laughs> end of the last bit, um, we we've we've done all the we've done all the uh, litigious stuff uh, in the, in the break, and uh, we're back to talk about uh, talk about big games, which is at the end of the day um, what this uh, podcast is all about. Um, so, the first question I ask people in this section is. If you say big game, what comes to mind? What what's what are your thoughts as soon as you say big game? Well, for me, it's um, the first thing I think has to be the the spectacle. Mm. People have to like come into. I, I was um, when I did a particularly the biggest game I ever did. People come through like all the people thronging around watching it, 
and they would come through to the table and they would look at their little six foot bit of the table and go, oh, this is great. And then they'd like wander, their gaze would wander up one way and up the other way and it disappears into the distance. You see that look on their face and go, my word. Actually, you know, they'd say something usually something a bit stronger than that. But it's the initial spectacle of the layout, I think. Yeah. I think that's what you see first. You see the table first. And then if you then see the fact that there's thousands of figures on it second, yeah. I think that's a good thing because yeah. you see this huge piece of landscape and all of a sudden you go, oh my word. And there's like hundreds of figures or thousands of figures on it. And you go, my. And then the, the third thing you see is the fact there's like, I don't know, 14 people playing it. It's just the, it's like, um, it's like a, a very loud rock concert. <laughs> I'm going to tell you now that big games are like Motorhead at Hammersmith Odeon. It's like, yeah. The feeling of um, the feeling of togetherness and oneness you get when something is a bit over the top and loud, and you're sort of looking at the whole spectacle as a thing, mm. as an entity of itself. It's like a very good friend of mine, um, David Kenyon. He called it a visual moving tableau, and I like to throw oh, that in. Oh, that's nice, nice, nice. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's, that's it's good. The, yeah, it's the whole the whole whole thing. It's the whole spectacle. It's the whole show. You know. And um, I think if you're doing it properly, and also it's actually, I mean, a personal pet hate of mine is when people put on a demo game, a, a show, set it all out, and then just sit around and don't actually play it. That annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> um, it's being played as a game, and it's a huge game, and you have to have like people talking to the the, the, the crowd and stuff about what's going on. You can't just be hunched over rules and ignoring everyone. You have to make it uh make it an event make it a spectacle get people in mm. not necessarily involved in playing it but tell them what's going on answer people's questions be friendly be outgoing all this stuff which a lot of war gamers aren't generally known but you know i mean make it a thing i think is what i could only say you know? <laughs> i don't that's why I, I i don't i wouldn't want to play a massive war games holiday center style battle every week mm. um i think uh as oh, Mopan said, I, I've always preferred an occasional orgy to a nightly routine. I think that holds <laughs> yeah. true for, for large games, you know. Yeah. And also, by the end of a particularly big game, you should be, you should be exhausted. You should feel like you've actually jumped into arms, yeah. you know, you, you, or you, gone up the great redoubt of a Borodini. You should feel like it's really taken something, but you've left something on the table, you know. <laughs> it's like, um, uh, uh, what's, uh, what's the old quote? After the third... After the third day of an orgy, even Bacchus has had enough. You should feel that, yeah. that you've got nothing left to give. I don't want to roll another dice for at least another two weeks. <laughs> I don't want to do this ever again. And then two weeks' time, you go, do you know what? I'd like another big game. You know, So yeah, you need I've... to like really really go for it to use stupid common parlance, but you do need to make it make it a thing. That's what, yeah. that's what I can say. And, and how, how, how big are personalities in those games, in the, especially at shows? Um, to, to, to be fair, I've done three or four big games that usually it's salute because um, at salute you could drive your 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 van or your truck. Once. Yes, I, I remember those days. Yeah, yeah, you could drive it right into the center of the plate and set up next to your table because if I was trying to move all the stuff that I use for some of the games through corridors in Sheffield or mm. devices or something, I just couldn't do it. So. Um, salute was always the, the best one for me to do the big games there because you could drive your truck in mm. and then unload it next to your area and that made all the difference so <laughs> yeah. and i often used to do these games in conjunction with um the aforementioned people from 
Huntingdon, yeah. War Games Club, people like Mark and Nigel and Daz and Boot and Chris Cornwell I mentioned earlier and uh, and the um, a good good friend of mine, Carlo, who sadly passed a few years ago. Mm. And they always used to just, they knew what I was after, they knew what I was like, they knew the style of stuff I wanted to do. They all used to just throw themselves into it and uh, help me set up and then play the game. And because they, they gained with each other on a regular basis, it's just I used to invite certain people and not invite other people. Right. Uh, people who I knew <laughs> would rub along each other nicely and get yeah. the game done. And all the games I did, we it was always very, very, um, very good spirits playing the game. And uh, I did a big, um, I think, again, um, going back to some of your other threads, pulling it all mm. together. I did a large game of Trebia in 54 mil mm. um, at Salute. And Mark Freeth was there and he joined in on one side. And everybody really just enjoyed the whole game and what you can't tell when you put together like a particularly massive game like i when i did with one of the games um you can't tell if it's actually going to play as a good game it might look fantastic it might be an awful game but i've been very lucky and i think more through luck by judgment i'm not much of a games master i have to say but the games have all been really good as games and people have been engaged and playing them and I tend to be honest. I tend not to play them at the shows. I tend to uh, myself and a couple of other people talk to the crowd. Yeah. Once I've done it all, it's more like to me like hosting a party. You know, you invite all your yeah. friends around, have this massive game, and then um, they can just get on with it because they know the rules, and I could just let them, you know, answer any questions they may have which haven't come up because I've pushed some rule limits to their absolute <laughs> rule sets, to their absolute <laughs> limits for some things which we can discuss in a second. But yeah. uh, I like to just. I like to other people to be really enjoying themselves. I'm sure Freud would have a lot to say about it, and I'm sure it involves my mother and father, but I like <laughs> to see other people really enjoying the games that I put on, you know? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the, the some of the, the the negative aspects towards big games, which is which is why I started this podcast to to share this love again of of quite clearly what you're talking about there, was was going to shows and seeing big games and the people who were putting on them on were antisocial and just playing the game yes. and not yeah, talking I, to them. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's important to engage with the public. And I would specifically have three of, I mean, depending on the size of the game, but between two and four people who I know are outgoing, articulate, intelligent, and can yeah. engage with the public. And um, mm. also occasionally you might shout something like, you know, 30, 30 cores at Nijmegen. Everyone goes, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Just to get some some people going along with it and and things like that. I think it's important that, as I said, people just hunched over rule sets and um, not engaging with the public is is just like having a game at your local club. Yeah. Don't 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 come to Wembley and then kick a ball around between the two of you. You know, play the game. Do it do it in the uh, in the spirit to which the uh, the venue demands. That's why uh, I think if you're going to do something like salute, you know, you need to. uh, yeah, you need to sort of step up, I think, and make it make it worthy of uh, of what you're trying to do. Without without a shadow of a doubt, and I think um, there's a there's a there's a lack, maybe not a lack, but people don't seem to want to aspire to do those huge games. Um, it, it seems to be, um, you know, you, you can buy a box and there's ten figures in it and you play the game. Um, yes. But let's okay, well we've got these ten figures now. Why don't we? do 30 next week yeah that, that's where i've always come from but yeah. I mean, there are people who just don't have the time or the mm. space oh, to yeah. do that and, and then some people and then if 
if I see a, a set of rules that says you can do Waterloo on your kitchen table in two hours, I think, well, what's the point of that? Yeah. Um, but other people see that and go, fantastic. That's just what I want. So there's, <laughs> there's room for there's room for both. But oh, I exactly. see that and go, I don't really want to do that. I want to do, I want Waterloo to last a weekend and be physically exhausted by the end. Yeah. Of it. So well, if you, if, yeah. If you've painted 10,028 mil figures for Waterloo, the yeah. last thing you want is for that battle to be over in two hours. Exactly. No, you've, no, no, no. you've just spent four years of your life <laughs> painting 10,000 figures. Exactly. And yeah. right, right, we've, we've finished now. What do you mean yeah. I'm not even set up yet? <laughs> exactly. But, but as I say, I think, you know, there's space for, for both ends. Oh, without, there, really. without doubt, without doubt. Yeah, there are some people who don't, as I say, have the time inclination or yeah. want to paint that many figures. And there are other people like me who, I mean, I, I'm... I'm easily led by friends who know what I'm like, especially when I was in Britain. I would do like, um, uh, I did, for instance, my, a friend of mine, again, um, a friend of mine, David Kenyon, who, uh, who is terrible with me. He just leads me on and then winds me up and lets me go. Yeah. He painted a few um, 54 mil Zulus and British infantry from the call to arms range, which were really yeah. nice. And he wrote a set of rules called uh, Dave Zulu rules. And we had a couple of- Excellent, excellent like that. And a couple of games, and I thought, well, this is this is good fun. These are nice rules. And then um, I, there's probably some pictures I should send you about it. And then uh, a year or so later, I've painted up like 300 Zulus in 54 mil. <laughs> and I've built all of Rourke's Drift. And I've I've made the, the big hospital with a lift-off roof and all the rooms. And I've converted lots of figures into the characters from the, uh, the battle. And um, that is quite a, a pattern, you know. Yeah. So, again, Mr. Kenyon, who... Um, who brought me a copy of Crossfire. And um, I was trying to write a set of war games rules for World War II. And I read Crossfire, which are, um, they're a very popular set for a little while. I think they've, they've died off a bit now with all the other new World mm. War II rules, but they had no movement rates and no ranges. So you had no tape measures involved. Yeah. And uh, when I first read them, I thought, this is the set of rules I'm trying to, to write. <laughs> so we, again, had a little skirmish games and 20 mil figures. Mm. And then 10, 12 years later, um, some of the stuff which we talk about soon comes about, and I'm, yeah. I'm taking up large bits of real estate in Salute Main Hall <laughs> with um, with two countries. You know, <laughs> well, that's what so I, I'm easily yeah. led, and I, I think, as soon as I see something, I think you know, I, I would not so much now, but I think those figures would look great if there was like another three or four hundred of them. Yeah, that would look even better if they. Yeah, that, that's, more. that's that's how my brain set. You know, <laughs> that's how my mind works, and and I, I and. I, I do struggle sometimes to realise that other people think differently to me. Yes, exactly. I look. I look at a very viable way, but it's not the. <laughs> I look at I, I look at some figures, and I look at uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Italian Wars is one of my big um, yes, yes. big things. So I, I look at a pipe block, and it's got twenty figures in it, or twenty four figures in, and I and and I can't look at it without going. Needs at least 128 figures absolutely, in that, and, yes. and they need and, to be, uh, and they need to be a lot closer than that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, you probably know. Um, uh, again, coming back to my friend Chris Cornwall, he's yeah, I know Chris. Got yeah. a large collection yeah. he's been doing this year, this year, and the end of last year. Yeah, and he is very much of the same ilk, and uh, I, I admire that greatly. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it, it's it's just the way my mind works, and I don't mean to upset or um, belittle anyone with that. But that's just I just look at things and go, oh, that that'd be a lot better if there was yes. a couple of hundred <laughs> figures. <laughs> Coming back to album titles, that would that would be a lot better if it was bigger. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yes, yeah. we are we are definitely of one mind of that. That's the way my brain works, and that's what led me to the the huge collections that I, I sold off to uh, to various people. Lots of my stuff went to people who have been on your podcast, of course. Um, exactly. And and did that did that selling off was that quite a sad time, or did you just move on? Um, and- well, yes and no. I mean, it was a big piece of my history, but. Yeah. I was going off on another adventure and um, and rather like coming back to the, the, the Freudian aspect of it, rather like it, I was really happy that people I sold it to were so pleased to have it, you know? Yes. And it would then get used and gamed with. And and so I, it was a mix of like, oh, that's a bit sad. But also I'm really glad these, you know, these guys are going on to other stuff and, you know, new campaigns in new countries, some of them. And yeah. uh, I quite, I took a little bit of pride in that. And then, the fact that people, as I say, were so pleased to have them and they were, a lot of my stuff was quite, um, I wouldn't say it was a famous collection, but it was in War Games Illustrated. Lots of people knew mm. about it. And for people to own that, it's like me saying, oh, look, I've got this unit that Peter Gilder painted. Not that I compare myself to Peter Gilder for anyway, but yeah. it was a recognisable collection. So it going to various people mm. um, and then being happy to have it and then happy to game with it as well. Mm. I've got a little bit of pleasure from that. So the, the two offset each other. So I didn't really have that many regrets other than my Wars of the Roses army, which I really... Which you've got did, back. <laughs> which I got back anyway, yeah, which now which now lives in my basement. So I was very happy about that. So, uh, so yeah, because yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it, it was Dr. Chris Brown who's uh, got some of your 50 mil, four mil stuff. Indeed, yes. We'll talk about later podcast, on, yeah. yeah. And uh, he was very proud to have that. Very proud. Yes, it was, I, I listened to it. I was, you know, I was very, exactly very pleased for him to be so happy to have it. Chris Brown, the uh, professional Scotsman. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah oh, very much so. <laughs> very much so. Uh, we didn't enter into politics. But yeah, that was great. <laughs> and they, they they going over to Arnhem a couple of times. Well, I think they're going over again in September. Yes. So that, that that to have that collection there. Is, uh, yes, no, absolutely. It's uh, it's um it's uh it, it make you know it makes I don't I'm not one for self promotion, but it does make me quite proud mm. that my boys are, are in other campaigns and doing other stuff, and yeah, people are people are happy to have them. So yes, yeah, so I'm I'm. I'm pleased that people like them, shall we say. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, we're going to talk um, about some of the big games that you've done later on. That's going to be our main topic. So okay. um, we'll, we'll um, this, this section is normally a little bit longer, but I'm going to kind of just ask one more question just before we finish off this little bit. Um, and that, that's kind of going, harping back to something we talked about about 10 minutes or so ago. And that's people being wary of the big game now and not kind of wanting to cross over and moving from skirmish. For Sometimes there's, there's good reasons for it, but sometimes... Um, it's a, it's a fear of a big game. What what would you do to, or what would you like to say to, um, to encourage someone to 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 go big at the end of the day? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, and although I'm not sure that I sort of work in a missionary way and try and <laughs> entice people into the hobby, but I would tell people that when you get a large game you tend to have um you're not like one person aside with twenty five thousand figures each you yeah. have a command <laughs> yeah. which yeah. just happens to fall in with everybody else's command so i know a lot of um new people come in 
and I mean, a couple of times I've had new people. Someone's like come to one of my games at Salute and said, "Oh, can I bring my son?" I go, "Yeah, of course you can. No problem at all." Yeah. And uh, so he's like going, "Oh my word, what on earth do I do?" I said, "Right, well these these are your this is your command. Mm. You've got these boys, these boys, these boys, and these. Um, you are part of his command. He's got all this other stuff, and he's in charge of all that sort of thing. And he's going to tell you what he wants you to do with your command. Mm. And how you do that is up to you because you're in charge of you. Yeah. And he'll go, "Oh right, okay." And um, so you sort of don't get let people get overawed by the fact that this massive table isn't all theirs to try and control. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they like it does in in actual you know military parlance. It breaks down into divisions and brigades and what have you, and you are in charge of an amount of uh, an amount of figures. And how you achieve what what the guy in charge wants you to do is pretty much up to you. You know, mm. so um, there's like a, a little bit of command and control to make you feel looked after, as well as there being a lot of um, space for your own individuality in it as well. So I think just don't get overawed by the whole thing. It, yeah. it breaks down into manageable chunks, I think. And then uh, you are then part of the overall victory or defeat, you know. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of the skills that you learn as well in, 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 in big game, when you're playing one against one, it's kind of like a chess game and there's no flanks there's no people left or right yes. there's no there's nobody next to you yeah i'm not going to mention any names ian um <laughs> who who does something daft and and you've just planned out this fantastic maneuver and you look yes. to your left and, and there's this ginormous hole because he's decided to go and have a look yes. at an oasis 12 yeah. foot away exactly or something like that uh, Which is <laughs> the fun, really. yeah exactly that's, that's yeah. all part of it and and that those um the negotiation skills that you get, the yeah. um, <laughs> the you know the emergency planning, you you know you 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 you, you put something in place, some idiot next to you messes it all up, <laughs> and you have to reorganise things. Yes, it very also very quickly. You proper military things like keeping a reserve for such occasions. Yes. And yeah. um, just a, a quick aside: when I first played in the Grand Manor. Mm. Um, I played it with like half a dozen battalions aside, and I thought, this is nonsense. This game's rubbish. The <laughs> command and control is, is non existent, yeah. and it's nonsense. But it's because, you know, Gilda wrote it for his big games. When yes. you play it with 50 or 60 battalions aside, it suddenly becomes this whole other animal. Yeah. And um, you go, yeah, but you can have individual battalions going off and do anything. You go, well, you can, but they'll get utterly mullered, you know. And you can't just go wandering off and do stuff. The, com the command and control is, at essence, one of the best ones in any game because it mm -hmm. is literally individual command commanders. Yeah. You know, you don't have to fake it with dice rolls because it's already there because you're playing on such a big game with so, so many players. Mm -hmm. So um, when they play it with, I say, not many battalions, it's nonsense. Mm -hmm. you, you get up to what it's meant for and you suddenly, something clicks and you go, I understand why these rules work so well now. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Well, thanks for that little chat on big games. We're going to come back to that in the big topic at the end. Um, but it's that, time, it's that time of the night, that time that we go for the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz. It's been going for 10 episodes and we haven't been sued by anyone. We've upset a few people, so before I start, I'm going to say the disclaimer once again. Um, the uh, opinions in this quiz are mine and mine alone, and uh, you could disagree with them, and you're probably right, but 
because I am uh, resident in Yorkshire, I will tell you that you're wrong. Uh, we'll just have to get on with it from there. So, um, have you have you heard this quiz before, John? Um, I, yes, I've heard it a couple of times. No, no worries at all. It's it's quite straightforward. There's no um, ten thousand word dissertations on Bavarian <laughs> flags of the nineteen of uh, the eighteen oh nine campaign. It's uh, purely yes or no or one or the other, um, and it's just reflecting what my opinions are rather than what's true absolutely or, or exactly. I'm, I'm limbered up and ready to go ready to go so question one go big or go home go big every time uh contrast paints are they great or are they a gimmick they are great for what they were designed for and i i don't like people just slating them because they're games workshop oh i'll give you a half for that um <laughs> When it comes when it comes to paintbrushes, um, and, and some of these questions, um, you might be aware will have a regional bias in them. <laughs> uh, so, first regional bias question: uh, When it comes to paintbrushes, will you buy Windsor and Newton or Yorkshire-made Pro Art? Uh, Windsor and Newton every time, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> another one, another one. Shocking, shocking. That's all I can say. Um, the factory used to be across the road from where I worked. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, 96 figures. Is that an army or a pipe block? 96 figures um, isn't even quite a full company. <laughs> so it's, it's not even a pipe block. Yeah, but yeah, if I could give you an extra point, I would do for that. <laughs> um, a, six, a six by four table, is that a big game or a small game? No, that's the um, set-up artillery board behind the big table. Right, okay. <laughs> we'll get on to what you think's a big game in the next section. <laughs> uh, and th I think people are going to be a little bit shocked. Um, when you're setting up a game, do you like to go for a points-based army or a historical order of battle? Uh, historical, 99% of the time. When you're doing your painting, um, do you like to mix your paints on a wet palette or an old bit of MDF? Old bit of MDF every time. Oh. I've never in my life, even as a pro painter, used a wet palette, I have to say. I'd, uh, people go, use them all. I've got no idea. Oh, yeah. I've got no idea. It, it just seems to be, I'm going to get myself in trouble again, again here, but it just seems to be like a, a latest gimmick um, that people use and I don't want to quite understand. And people go, well, oh, it stops your paint drying out. Yeah, well, I, know, I mean, but to be fair, people who use them, I have seen some incredible models they've painted. So I, mm. I'm not, um, I'm not offensively against them. I just don't use them myself. No, I think for for an individual figure where you're trying to win, is it a golden demon? Where the, I yeah. believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, then the, it's a, the golden demon. That's a Chinese restaurant near us. That one. <laughs> uh, so uh, I just, I don't see the point in it. But anyway, especially if you're doing big armies, it just slows you down, messing yeah. about. Uh, anyway, we've digressed. Um, undercoating figures, black or white? This is going to sound really stupid. I tend to always use grey. I'm exactly in between. But I'm not a big fan of a black undercoat myself, personally. Yeah. So if choice of the two, I'll have to go white, I suppose. Okay. I'll give you half a point for grey, because it's in between the two. Um, another originally based question. Um, would you drink Yorkshire tea or a dirty, mucky coffee? Uh, Yorkshire tea every time. I love it. Superb. Um, you're building a war games unit with some figures. Do you like to see them tightly packed or socially distanced? 
Um, depends on the era. Tightly packed, I would have to say, out of the two. Superb. Um, you've got an option, a uh, chance of a game, and the choices are a two-hour club game or a weekend monster game. Well, going back to my uh, occasional orgy, I have to say a weekend monster game. Superb. Um, this is the uh, Nick Skinner special question here. Um, avocado, are they just posh, mushy peas? <laughs> <laughs> I think avocado was dictated to somebody who then misspelt it. Rather like aluminium and aluminum. So <laughs> I think they're nonsense. Thank you. That's another one of my little... Uh, <laughs> well, I've got, I'm carrying too many placards down the road. And, and um, there's another placard already designed for the next question as well. Uh, and that is round or spherical dice. Uh, are they allowed or banned? Um, I, I shudder at having them in the same country as myself. They're, they're just terrific. Uh, in are. fact, in fact, nobody nobody has been on this podcast yet and said that they will allow round dice on the table. No, I, I'm I like big d6. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean a foot across, but I mean nice big d6 with easily readable dots on them. Mm. Not all all the the silly little symbols and stuff like that. I just yeah. like a nice big chunky corners rounded off handful of d6. Yeah, the spherical ones, you, you roll them on the table and they take out, literally take out half of your men. Yeah, it's uh, not. No, I'm, I'm, gimmick dice, I'm I'm not a fan of. Oh no, bar humbug and harumph and read mm. the Daily Mail and all that, I'm not interested. Yeah, we, we've, we've had people turn up with, with dice in different languages, like Arabic scripts and stuff. And then, of course, <laughs> you, you can't tell what they've rolled. No, no, it's it's not. It just feeds into the the war game. I'm mad, me. Look, I'm mad. No, yeah, you're not you're an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look, look, look. That is definitely Sumerian, ancient Sumerian for six. Oh, <laughs> no, it's not right. No. Um, would you pay? Would you pay thirty three pence for a communist? I would do, but then of course I'd have to share it amongst everybody else as well. A like a collective. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, do you like a good table and a set of rules, like a casualty table, something to look up? Well, being a big fan of Grand Manor, that was all running your fingers down tables, you know, plus one for the regimental yeah. coat and all that sort of thing. But as I'm getting, um, I like to get more turns in and have a simpler set of rules, which yeah. we'll come to later on, personally. No worries. Question 16, 28 mil is king, yes or no? Um, well, I would have said no, because I was obviously a big 54 mil fan. But um, in the scheme of gaming, I would say yes. Yeah. Um, unpainted miniatures allowed on the table, yes or no? Uh, no, there's a special place in hell reserved <laughs> for people who do that. <laughs> Again, that's just my opinion. Other opinions are also available. Oh, oh, oh Yeah. But again, that's one question that in 10 episodes, nobody said, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so you... you, you it's just you, a you, personal thing. Yeah. Statistically, from a sample of 10, nobody... Can you tell what course I've been on recently? <laughs> that's 100%. Even that, yeah, that. that's 100% that. Um, right, so um, question 18. Um, Bradford City or Leeds United? Well, I'm going to have to say Leeds United oh. because... Because... Cambridge United once beat them in the FA Cup at Cambridge. Oh, well, yeah. That's not too so bad. That. That's not too bad. I like that one. Um, Yorkshire or the other place over the hill? 
I don't really know what the other place over the hill is. The Red Rose. Oh, you mean the uh, don't the, say the it. shining metal that is Lancashire? Don't, don't say, oh, that's it. Oh, my, computer, my computer's well, just shut down now. <laughs> I've, I've had um, some wonderful times in Yorkshire, yep. and I've been to Lancashire only ever for work. So I'm going to have to say Yorkshire. Oh, superb. I like you thinking. Um, one, one, guest, one guest chose Yorkshire because he'd been for a night out in Leeds and had a lovely, <laughs> and had a lovely kebab. Uh, and I've had some great nights out in Yorkshire. <laughs> All cold, really. So the final question, um, Games Workshop, are they the work of the devil? If you read the um, the Facebook things, all their fans are also their worst critics. I yeah. just think they are a a massively popular company who's British, and we should be equally proud of them for taking yeah. the, the the taking it around the world and making it into a massive conglomerate. Um, yeah. And if you don't like their pricing system, don't buy their games. Really, very much so. Well, you've done quite well. You've got seventy five percent. Oh, hello. Uh, which is not bad at all. That puts you in fourth place. Um, there, are, there are a few joint 80%, um, but 75% is very reasonable indeed. So congratulations, John. And uh, we'll move on to our final section where we're going to talk about proper big games. Okay. Well, a lovely uh, effort there at uh, the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz. Uh, another top result there, 75%. Um, 60% is still the lowest that we've ever had, which I'm, I'm quite surprised at. But uh, obviously, everyone thinks like me. That, that must be that must be how it is. <laughs> so I'm going to um, I'm going to paraphrase Crocodile Dundee here because um, he, those who've seen the film may remember when um, old Croc was um, attacked by somebody with a knife, and he turned round and he and he drew this massive knife out of his pocket and just said. <laughs> That's not a knife. This is a knife. So to all those people, those all those people who've said, you can't say six foot is a small game, Ken. You can't say that because it's going to upset people. I said it was an average game, to be honest. Let's but but this lad that we're going to talk about now, my 12-foot table is he'd, he'd, he'd just have it on the side and have his his these like army lists on there and stuff like that. So I'm gonna I'm going to um hold my hand up and say that I am quite a small gamer compared to John. <laughs> there are those who would say I'm overcompensating for something, I'm sure. Well exactly, exactly. <laughs> we, we all start. So we've got to start, we've got to start with I mean you might correct me, but we've got to start with with the, the mother load of, of games. And that it was the the market garden game. Um, oh yes. Oh yes. Um, so I take it this is on your list of things that you've made notes about. Oh, it's it's top of my list. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's my dark side of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so so for for all those people out there who um, who are thinking that twelve foot tables are big, um, just uh, just put us down the the vital statistics of the market garden game. Okay, it was mar- it was market garden, but it was all of Market Garden. Um, it was, I originally just um, thought about doing it and then I, I'd settled on a 40 foot by six foot table. Yeah. Um, and then I kept adding in stuff and adding in stuff. So when we finally turned up at Salute, it was 72 foot long by six foot wide. So um, just, just co- say that, just say that again for anyone who missed that. 
It was 72 foot long by six foot wide. There's, I think there's a couple of photographs I'm sending you of yeah. the entirety of it. So 72 foot, six foot wide. It was all of Market Garden. It yeah. started off in one country with, with um, 30 core, yeah. which was, if you set 30 core out end to end, the column was 20 foot long. Yeah. Um, this is all in 54 mil. Um, <laughs> it had uh, all the, the major bridges, Nijmegen, Arnhem and Son Bridge, all built from... Um, little L-shaped girders that I got from um, uh, a hardware shop. I'm trying to think what they call it now. I've been over here for too long. Um, and they're all hot glued together and sprayed and cleaned and done. Mm. Um, so it was all those buildings, all those bridges. Arnhem was right down the other end, um, commanded by a guy who was actually in the parachute regiment. So oh, wow. he had his little beret on and someone told me he thought it was really offensive that someone would wear a beret like that. So I just said to them, go and tell him that. Go on, I dare you. Anyway, and then all the other, right down the other end um, was 30 core with about, let me see, about 60 Shermans was the Argard yeah. Armour Division, um, plus artillery, 132nd scale Typhoon aircraft, um, German flat guns, 88s. Oh my word, there was about nearly 200 vehicles and about 700 figures in 54 mm. mil. Yeah. Um, it was all played using crossfire rules, which, as I've said, have no ranges mm. or movement rates. So you had to be a bit careful with blocking lines of sight on the, the, the table. Um, three large bridges, um, Nijmegen, the town of Nijmegen, town of Arnhem, um, there was Son Bridge, Bailey Bridges, Canals. Oh, my word. It was, a, it was a beast. When you go to Salute, actually, I can tell you a little story. When you go to Salute, yeah. there's a way bridge you go over. Yes, yes, and, yeah. the, and the game of Market Garden weighed nearly half a ton. My word. <laughs> Just under half a ton. Yeah, so so we're not talking about size of games now. We're talking about weight of games. This was, yeah, this was, this was, this was a half tonner. Oh. Um, someone came up to me at the, at the show um, who I vaguely knew, and he, he quoted me a great line from Jaws. He looked at the tape and he goes, my word, he goes, that's a 50-footer. And I went, no, mate, that's a 72-footer. <laughs> half a ton of a... <laughs> So did it? Did you have a like a bus service running around it? How long did it take to get from one end to the well, other? What, what we did, um, which um, I got a little bit of flack for actually, we had because we had sixteen players, I think, um, and because there's no fixed turns in Crossfire, mm. um, all the had all the American paratroopers in the middle, um, John Frost boys down the ends. The Germans were all coming on at various points to try and cut the road. It was all. 30 core going up the road yeah. to um, various places. Um, two guys ran 30 core. We had a allied air commander, uh, um, an allied, allied artillery commander, I believe. And then the Germans came on with various different um, you, you know, you, thrown yeah. together formations. You know, you've got a big game when you've got an air commander. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, what, and, am I, what am I going to do on this 72 foot table? You're in command of the plane. You're in command of the allied air, oh. air force. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, lots of German flat guns, so I had to make up rules for flak, and I had to make up rules for... It started off with a creeping barrage as well, as famously yeah. portrayed in the, the Bridge Too Far, which is a wonderful scene. Yeah. So we had lots of 25-pounders, and people got extra kudos from quoting from the film. Oh, so, superb, uh, superb. The guy in charge of the artillery is going, right, well, it, it, it starts off with you. Um, Richard, I think his name was. Yeah. It starts off with you, Richard. He goes, okay. He goes, right. He goes, all guns, commence firing! And <laughs> And it, because it was all based on three-foot boards, the barrage would creep forward 
a three-foot board um, each time on the throw of a dice. It might mm. lag back a bit. You might have to hang back 30 core and not lean on the barrage too much. So yeah. we put a lot of extra bits into it um, for that. And, uh, and as I say, the, the games were being played at all the points on the table in their own time frame, really, because there was no fixed term limit. So yeah. as 30 core reached the first... Um, American Airborne Division, they would then fall into their their sort of turn rate, you know. And as it went on down the game, because right down the other end of the game, um, the two guys playing um, the British Paras in Arnhem, um, they were literally using binoculars to look down the table to see where <laughs> Thirty Core was, and uh, which was fantastic. He, he said, "I brought my old um, field binoculars with me because he was in um, Royal Horse Artillery in the Parachute Regiment, which always conjures up like, images of horses with parachutes." Yeah. And he had his field glass and he was looking down the table and shouting, where the are you? And the third corps <laughs> commander, which was Chris Cornwall, actually, was going, uh, I'm near Son. He goes, oh, for God's sake. He was going, get a move on. <laughs> and so uh, we had you know, communication problems of our own, which was just, just delightful, absolutely delightful. So, yeah, so it was a huge game. Um, it, we started playing it five minutes after the doors opened mm. and we finished it, I think, about 10 minutes before before the doors closed and it was played constantly throughout the day and um for people to get around it i put like a a sort of a velvet rope barrier about a foot away from it so people could move around yeah and people said that people said i was being a bit snobby about that and i said no I'm, I'm purely because people need to get around to play the game because it's a game but just ask and you can come through and take pictures and all that sort of stuff so we did that a lot as well but um some people just like to have something to complain about I, remember, yeah. I do vividly remember one yeah. guy was looking at the game going, well, it's lovely and all that, but um, that Panzer four, that's the wrong mark. Yeah, that, that, that should be a mark something, and it's a mark something else. And it's, it's a shame you didn't take the time to do that. And I just like, it looks at me, and I just waved an arm down the table and go, yeah, I just really haven't bothered, have I? <laughs> 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 but it was all, I say, the whole thing was um, scratch built, all the buildings were made out of plywood and and painted and it was two years to, to do it um so for a where, one day what, show it's ridiculous really and, and did you have you gamed it more than once have you had it on or was that that was I the only time garden in its entirety once at the, at the at salute and then we did various other permeations of it at the war games holiday center for a weekend but not um, the full shebang no but it was just a one-off thing well as i said before it was a one-off event there was like 16 players in it um who all said they had a fantastic time yeah and people still talk about it now at the time it was the biggest game salute had ever put on i don't know if that record still stands i've got I, no I, idea i honestly can't imagine anyone's put a longer table on than that but so uh, i've had people say to me oh that was you oh i remember that and even people in america going oh yeah i saw pictures of that in so and so that's incredible you know i go well thank you very much that's very kind of you i said it was a Two years of my life for one day it was absolute to be honest waste of time but it was well worth it because it was <laughs> as I, I say it was quite a thing you know people still remember it it was great and so, it, it, again purely by by chance it turned into a really good game as well it was very tight right at the end um, yeah. the british paras had to surrender about 15 minutes before the game ended and the, oh. Oh. The 30 core was just getting over Nijmegen Bridge. So it followed historically really quite well. And it was purely because every, and everyone just threw themselves into it and yeah. um, and played it in the spirit it was intended. And uh, 
it was just a really good experience the day you know it's fantastic so where did all the um because 54 mils not a normal <laughs> in inverted commas no. <laughs> uh, gaming scale so where did all the figures and the and the um vehicles come from oh um, well i got i got to be quite a, an expert of trawling um ebay and stuff and i for the for the Shermans, actually, a, a company, American company called CTS, I believe they mm. were called, which stands for something, you know, um, like and share. Let me know in the comments, as they say yeah. these things. Um, and they they re-released the Airfix 132nd scale soft plastic Sherman. All right, yeah. Um, from our youth. And mm. I bought loads of them and then just covered them in camouflage netting, nice resin crew figures, um, converted some of them into fireflies with 17-pounders and various bits on them and they look great they look really good but i wasn't too far i had to sort of like draw a line between modeling and a gaming piece you know yeah so some of the german stuff i left off little tiny width judges and wing mm. mirrors and stuff because they would just get broken so yeah uh, but i still you know airbrushed all the german late wall camouflage as we see all the photos mm. and stuff and and the figures the british powers a lot of them came bizarrely from the Airfix 132nd scale range from our youth. Again, oh, yes, remember those. Because they were still beautiful, beautiful mm. figures, so crisply cast, and they were a little bit under 132nd. They're actually nearer to 135th. Mm. So they fitted in really well. Um, a lot of other stuff came from kits made by mm. uh, Dragon and Revel and, and people like that, um, Model Master and all these like mm. little six figure box sets. So that's why it took so long to, to get because a lot of them I was assembling, you know. Um, and then other companies made like uh, American Paras. Um, again, I've, I've just readily. got the, I've just got this vision in my head now of of um, a couple of guys somewhere in the states who make one thirty fifth fifty four mil Shermans, and they, they bring it out and they think, well, we're not going to do much with this. <laughs> and there's somebody, somebody, well, it's going mad. It's going mad. We've got an order for yeah. sixty. It's going, we've got sixty. <laughs> Oh, bloody right. Put, I, I, put, put a deposit on a yacht. Yeah, right. I bought a load of them and painted them all up. And they, they came out great. I used lots of them. Um, They've probably surgical. sold about three since, haven't they? Bless yeah, them. Yeah, I, I made um, all the camo nets out of surgical gauze. It's very thickly yeah. woven. And pinned it out on a board and sprayed it green and then covered it in PVA and draped it over all the, the turrets of the Shermans and added lots of stowage like they had. And they came out great. I was really pleased with them. And they... they when I sold lots of stuff on eBay, I had mm. to point out that they these are soft plastic Sherman, blah, blah, blah. So they still went for a lot of money. And I kept going, you do realise, the like, look, here's a picture of the underside. Look, it's a toy tank sort of thing. <laughs> and people were still paying lots of money. And I thought, well, you know, fair enough. I've tried my best to warn them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think you would have had any any comeback because I think the, the, the soldiers from that game and the vehicles are quite instantly recognisable. Yeah, they've, they've gone to a lot of a lot of people. Yeah. But a lot of people say, oh, yes, I, I bought his collection. I have to say, well, actually, no, you didn't. It was huge. I it's can imagine. To like, you know, a dozen people all over the world. Well, one, inter one thing that did interest me about that, that setup was the infantry. They were on like a, like a tray with raised up sides. Yes, yes. I, what, um, what, was that, what was that for? What I did was, I, um, again, it was made out of um, offcuts of aircraft aluminium, and I put them on the fold and folded the sides up because especially with the hard plastic, you've got some really in-scale, tiny Bren gun barrels and mm. Sten gun barrels and stuff, and they wouldn't last five seconds with people just grabbing the figures. Yeah. So the little flanges on the side, although they weren't the prettiest thing, that was how you picked the, picked the figures up. 
Ah, so I did it now. I had a little briefing beforehand. So this is how you pick the figures up. Don't go grabbing them, clumping them all together because they will just snap like nothing on earth or they'll bend and flake all the paint off so that's how you move them around and pick them up so I yeah think that's, that's interesting because we have little briefings here before games um and uh, people are warned that the pipe blocks are real pikes yes <laughs> and uh, we, we had a we had an english civil war game probably 10 12 years ago a uh, weekend campaign and every single member of uh, of the get of the campaign there must have been about 10 or 12 of us all of us were going home with like plasters on our hands because we'd all got la <laughs> lacerations from all these pipe blocks yeah you can you can brief them and they, they only do it once yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and you have to say don't touch this don't do that and, right. and no, within, I know exactly what you mean yeah within so, 10 within 10 minutes somebody's bent something and yes. somebody's impaled themselves on a yeah. group of lancers or something like that yeah but as I say, luckily, the, the, the group of guys from Huntington Gaming Club who did the game with me, they were all, um, they, I would say they did as they were told. They, they all realised why we did it. And lots of people, again, say, oh, I don't like it. It spoils the look. I go, well, yeah, but, you know, it's a gaming piece. It's not a diorama. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's why I did that. Yeah, it makes, just makes them easier to move without breaking stuff and all that sort of thing. So the couple of, a couple of interesting questions then. Um, how long did it take? from to to do the whole thing to get it ready to go for a couple um, of what set up yeah no um from from putting your paint on your first miniature to having a 72 foot table two years two years of yep. fairly hard fairly constant two years of, just... i used to work shifts and i used to work four days on four days off so probably two or three of the four days off i would be um squirreling away or down my shed building buildings and you know making stuff and making bridges and all sorts of nonsense sheds where, where would where would we be without sheds well i said myself and the inimitable mr cornwall we built a shed in down the bottom of my garden to put a <laughs> 15 foot by six foot yeah. gaming table in and it moved all the stuff out of the house so my um my girlfriend at the time was very pleased so we built this huge shed and uh and that then got used for my workshop for making, yeah. you know, building Arnhem and all the terrain boards and what have you. But well, it's pretty it's, much pretty yeah. much um, based on the um, the classic Gilder um, sawdust paint and PVA glue mix swapped over everything. That's based on that, and then dry brushed. Yeah, I mean they they are, they are very heavy that style of terrain. Oh yes, my god, they are. Well, my they're, um, god, they're, they're resistant. They're, you get enough of them, and they're just under half a ton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and you can you can sand down wooden doors with them when they Indeed, when they're yes. dry. And you can't, you know, people don't lean on them with their with their bare elbows for very long. No, yeah. you, you get carpet burns of the wrong type from those. Well, absolutely, of, uh... and um, and I used the crossfire rules because um, after a half an hour, you can keep most of the rules in your head, so there's not yeah. the usual um, uh, demonstration game thing of lots of charts and, and stuff and stuff all mm. over the table so you get rid of all that and i just put some charts tapes to the side of the table you can lift up and look at the various things but and i also put some of the armor values and gun values i paint them on the back of the tank yeah um mud guards as like a tactical sign mm. so you can use that as well so it keeps all that clutter off the table which mm. is a, another pet peeve of mine so the, um, the, the also, whole the whole idea for, for it then was that yours or were you um, led down a garden path by no, somebody was, else? That was all purely me. I, I can't. I think I just watched a bridge too far, and yeah. I already had a few powers and stuff. And 
I thought you were going to say a few pints. The way that, in the way that I do, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be good if I did Arnhem? And then I thought from that, wouldn't it be good if I did blah, blah, blah? And then it just ended up with, well, let's not mess about. It may even yeah. been Chris Cornwall again said, let's just not mess about. Yeah. You do the whole thing. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, that's basically what happened, you know. But um, with, the, uh, with the crossfire, no ranges, the Germans did a big counterattack and cut the... Uh, cut the road where 30 court was the mm. hell's highway whatever it was called with some yeah. panthers and they got walloped by um british achilles 17 pounder tank destroyers from about 15 foot away what <laughs> <laughs> <Bloody> the hell <laughs> and i said well you know you have to reevaluate what's going to go on because you can't go well they move six inches a turn so i can do this before they get to there there's none of that you know so he had just left himself exposed and these uh tank destroyers just walloped him and he goes he's going where's that coming from the guy is 50 foot away going, they're coming from me. Yeah, you have to have a very good tactical concept of where yes, things you are. Do. You, and, have to, yeah. you know, leave, don't leave any flanks and, you know, that sort of thing. But um, with 30 core, it's very difficult because they're all stretched out down this road and there's German stuff coming on to, to do it. And then they counter more stuff in villages and towns along the way hmm. and like just individual little um, battle groups thrown together with a couple of Panthers and some pack 40s and, and a company of infantry or a company of dismounted tank crew, which mm. I did as infantry as well. So there's all sorts of ramshackle thrown together, as well as, of course, like big formations like 9th SS and stuff, which, uh, which um, bless them, they did attack across the um, Arnhem Bridge and got piatted to death. So, oh, uh, full superb, superb. The 9th uh, SS guy said, well, I wasn't going to do it, but I thought, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, you've got to. You've got to. So they, they, as I say, the, the spirit was there. The full spirit was there. So when you when you put all this together and you were ready to go, um, and you contacted the organisers of Salute, um, and you know you fill your form out. Uh, what size table do you want? Uh, what did they say? Well, I, initially it was going to be sixty foot, which is the form I filled out. Yeah. And then when I got there, I said, "I'm really sorry. Could I have seventy two foot?" And uh, the guy. <laughs> Um, maybe John Treadaway or someone like that. Yeah. I can't remember, but he was a big fan of mine. He he yeah. liked my sense of stupidity, I think. And uh, he went, no problem at all. He goes, we'll shift this and we'll shift that. 72 foot, not a problem. Brilliant. And, uh, so I set it all out and they moved, um, not another game, they moved like a, um, some display booth or something and put it somewhere else. And it was it was to do with the South London Warlords, a salute crowd. So they were mm. more than happy to do it because it was such a, and they, they, they then also, when I got there, they moved me as well to be right near the main entrance when people come in. Mm. So it's one of the first things people saw. And um, they said, do you mind if we move you to here before you set up? Because we'd like this to be one of the first. And I went, you're absolutely, that's a, that's a big compliment. Thank you very much indeed. So, uh, so yeah, so we said it took about two hours to set it all up, two and a half mm. hours to set it all up, about the same to rip it all down. Um, but I had people going underneath with little squares of wood and screw guns screwing all the boards together and then appearing out the other end like 20 minutes later <laughs> you know and uh, people just dived and then chris came along because uh, chris works in the sort of entertainment industry and uh, yeah. setting up big parties and marquees and he came along and um staple gunned like um fabric down the side of it to hide all the all the rubbish underneath it you know and uh, and, uh, and then he had some proper lights down the end and a little little sign saying what it was and all this sort of thing and a, a big union jack down the other end and um so it was quite uh uh, a team effort from that mm. regard of making it again, making it a thing, you know, an event yeah. a thing. 
Because I remember when we put Jutland on, which was 24 foot by eight, which is nothing compared to, to 72 foot. We, we struggled to get it into any shows because everyone was going, oh, that's a big table. Yes, oh, yes. We, oh, we can't, we can't fit I, that in. Yeah, that's why I could only ever see me doing it salute because we couldn't have transported it without being two, two and a half, three foot from the truck that brought yeah. it in, you know. It just couldn't be done. There's no way. So that leads us on then to if we're sticking with 54 mil then, um, and another game from Salute, um, the the 54 mil Ancients. Oh yes, yes we did. Um, um, that now that came actually from <laughs> again. This came from the inimitable David Kenyon, who um, made up a few stands of of Polybian Romans, Camillan Romans. I can't remember now. Tell you the truth. Yeah, um, which came from. Oh my word! This uh, hat made a whole oh, yeah, range yeah, yeah. Of, of really obscure, like, like Italian allies and Spanish cavalry and all this stuff, yeah. and Carthaginians and Romans. And so we had a few games of that. And then, in the way that happens, I thought to myself, this would be great with like eighty elements aside or whatever, mm. which happened to coincide with a series of articles in War Games Illustrated saying, you know, three big battles for DBA. And um, so I said, well. I'll just do it with DBA. Because to be honest, the rules for me are pretty secondary to the spectacle, if I'm being yeah, honest. Yeah. If they provide a good result, I'm more than happy. I don't need to be running my finger down endless plus one, minus one charts mm. anymore. Yeah. And so DBA was perfect because we could put all the stats on the back of the base yeah. and again, have all the rubbish off the table. And it gave a good, a good result of what, well, it's ancient warfare. You know, it's many yeah. T-shirts with sticks hitting each other. Yeah. Um, Who's got the biggest it, stick? Yeah, it's a, it's a good representation. And also it's got, again, a lot of subtleties to it when you play it as a big game mm. and you group elements together and do this sort of thing. So I just started buying... They're very cheap, these box sets from Hat. Mm. And uh, I saw one for Trebia. And I looked at the Trebia one. I thought, oh, this looks quite good fun. Lots of <laughs> Italian allies and Spanish yeah. cavalry and all sorts of Carthaginians with the great big round shields, all the different designs on mm. them. And so I just started painting those up. And uh, then we designed a table, which was for some reason, six and a half, I remember it was six and a half foot by 15 or 16, because mm. we made it out of one great big piece of canvas and um, made a mixture and worked this mixture into the fibers of the canvas and built the table out of this lump of canvas. So at the end, we rolled it up put it in a great big cardboard tube I got from a carpet shop and just took it home. So <laughs> we just rolled it out and then put some terrain on it. And um, it was, uh, it's become a bit of a, a bit of a, an infamous thing now. We, it was, took place in the winter. So we, um, we had to make some, um, some snow for yeah. it. So, uh, so we used table salt and then um, a, a thought from a friend of mine whose name I shall leave leave to the wild yes so as not yeah. to incriminate them yeah. um suggested we mixed in um strippers body glitter with it to give it a little bit of a sparkly feel okay okay so it also smelled faintly of vanilla i understand <laughs> <laughs> so the snow was table salt mixed with stripper glitter so it gave a nice little twinkly thing under the lights yeah and it looked really good actually <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that must be the one and only time that stripper glitter has been used <laughs> as a wargaming uh so, uh yeah you know rock and roll mate so there's there's an interview somewhere on youtube about that particular edition of salute and they interviewed us at the end and i mentioned it and the guy gets very excited um so we had a, about 40 or 50 elements aside yeah um and played again with the hundred club and 
Mr. Freef came in again, and Mr. Freef just begged us to give him all the um, all the gauls and the and the wild barbarians, and he just yeah. grouped them all together and in inimitable yeah. Mr. Freef style threw them all the Fre- at the Romans, and they all got massacred. But he, he, was, he does have he does have a reputation for charging off. He was happy as you know, as I say, happy as a kid with a slice of cake. He was a he was yeah. a very happy boy. So we he, played it through twice, I think, um, in the end. Um, and it was really good fun, really good game. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, I, again, that I sold the whole lot as a as a single entity with the uh, with the the car, the um, the board, and well, the the rolled up piece of canvas and everything. Mm. It just went to a friend of mine in Cambridge as a as a single entity. So um, I'm glad that's still about. I do regret actually selling that as well because that's that's boring, bordering on quite bizarre. I have to mm. say, and I, I wish I still owned it. I must admit. So that, that friend in Cambridge, is he, does he now own a strip club? I would hope so. Or at least <laughs> at least some uh, at least something that smells vaguely of vanilla in his, in his bedroom. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant! And uh, so, uh, how long ago was that game then? Um, that oh my word, that would have been. Oh, I I really would like to say two thousand and twelve, maybe. I think I've, I have seen a picture of it somewhere. I'm trying to maybe about. I'm a bit vague on a lot of dates for these things, but about 2012, yeah, 11, I'm, something like that. I've definitely seen a photo. I'm just trying to rack my brains to remember where I've seen the photograph, but I, I'll I'll remember and I'll, I'm sure I'll dig it up for. But it, it looked great because all the you know serried ranks of um of Carthaginian spearmen again with like you know all their big thick metal. I replaced all the soft bendy plastic ones with big metal um pikes and spears and everyone got all their spears replaced <laughs> because they were soft plastic bendy nonsense and uh, yeah and then the number of figures on each base i did the same as dba so the uh the sort of skirmishers um, yeah the roman oh, i can never remember hastati principe and whoever they are they had fewer figures than the uh, yeah valite hastati principe triarii that's it yeah i yeah, so they, they all had a number of figures on each base dependent on what they were, rather like um, like DBA says, you know, spears or siloy yeah. or whatever. And um, we played it with just straightforward first edition DBA rules, no amendments, no nothing. And and it gave really good games. I mean, God bless DBA as far as I'm concerned. It was wonderful. Mm. Yeah, really, well, really I, good. It's, still, it's still around, it's still going, so clearly people like um, it. Right, as, for, uh, for what we were doing, like Crossfire, it was perfect for a display game because... There was nothing on the table apart from dice and tears of the Romans. Because <laughs> <laughs> it all went badly wrong. <laughs> it went badly wrong for the Romans the first game, but I think they they learned and do what Romans always do, came back and crushed every resistance. <laughs> well, the, the, the next game I've got on my list, um, and I've only got three, so you might have some more, um, was one that Mark Freeth mentioned, and um, something to do with the Campbelltown. And... <laughs> Now, to be to be fair, I have to be full full honesty here. We never, I never actually did it as a game. I had it all planned out in my head, but, um, <laughs> but then my um, my head was turned by by a lovely American girl. Yeah. Um, but the plan was we were going to do San Nazaire, and we were going to set up the town of San Nazaire. Um, build. Oh, I was going to build San Nazaire basically with the dock gates of the town of San Nazaire, mm. um, and then paint up loads of British commandos. German garrison troops, naval troops, you know, it was going to be another huge undertaking of, of stupidity. Then I was going to build um, a sort of eight foot Campbelltown, HMS Campbelltown, which for those who don't know, was disguised as a German destroyer to sail down an estuary past all the German gun batteries to ram the dock gates 
and then all the commandos would pile off and there'd be a big fight in the town and they would then have to get back to Britain. Um, called the greatest raid of ever, of all mm. time, and I concur. So I was going to build <laughs> HMS Campbelltown, about eight foot long, a sort of, you know, scaled down one thirty second scale model of it, um, mm. disguise it as a German destroyer, which they did, um, put it on a hostess tea trolley, and then wheel <laughs> it to the game past all of the traders. Yeah. And this was going to be the beginning of the game. And then, then the first time that one of the traders goes, isn't that Campbelltown? Then <laughs> the balloon goes up. You know, that was the, so everybody in this trading row was going to be part of the game. <laughs> I would then give them dice and say, roll those three dice for us, will you? And they're all going to be a shore battery. Yeah. And um, and then damage would be taken on, on board with HMS Campbelltown. So yeah, so hostess tea trolley down the end with a big old eight-foot Campbelltown on it, or you know, German yeah. shit, whatever it was disguised as, you know, squeaking away, leaning <laughs> down these trains. And the first trainer goes, that looks like Campbelltown. I go, wow, yeah, but is it? They look like Campbelltown. The next guy goes, no, that's definitely Campbelltown. <laughs> and this was the plan. And at the end of it, my friend said, well, I've got a better idea. At the end of it, um, again, Mr. Cornwall, with his um, knowledge of theatre and pyrotechnics, says, well, at the end of it, why don't we blow it up? <laughs> I said, I'm sure that somewhere in the regulations of the Excel Centre at Salute, means we can't blow it up. <laughs> oh, that, that, yeah. If you come back to England, you, you, we've, that's got to be done. <laughs> I think absolutely. Now, you see, we could put up Perspex screens and all that, and we could literally at the end of it just blow the whole thing up because I think that would be fantastic. Well, as, <laughs> as, as, um, as part of Leeds War Games Club, we run a show called Fiasco at the Royal Armouries. Oh, indeed, yes. And um, right, well. uh, trust me, if you want to do that, I will arrange it. <laughs> There's a there's a big um, it's not a blast door but there's a big door at the back of the um, at the at the back of the hall that we use where yeah. traders come in and out so we quite happily blow stuff up there. Fantastic! It would, it would have to be one of those those little tiny twist detonators as well for a proper period feel. Yeah, we'd um, um, we so, might no, we'll, I would I would you know if 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 I do then I will. There you yeah. go. It's a it's an on air promise. Oh, definitely because we, we 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 might put a bit of shrapnel in Dave Thomas's. Van, <laughs> but he'd be for it, would Dave? He'd, he'd, oh, he'd love Dave that. Thomas. What a great guy! He would love that. He would. He'd yeah, absolutely be, love that. That'd be good fun. And then yeah. have a you know a big old um, fighting in a city game of San Nazaire with all the British commandos and blah blah blah, and and then at the end blow up you know blow up Camberdown, destroy the dock gates. That'd oh, be fantastic! That, 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 yeah, <laughs> I'd probably I'd probably retire from war gaming at that point because I would I'd, I would have peaked. Yeah, exactly. I'd look at that and go, do you know what? I can't do any better. Than yeah, I'd, I'd I'd, like I'd Mark Garner, I thought I can't stop that. I'm not going to bother. <laughs> you see, <laughs> we've we, we've been saying to people, don't give up with, with your big game aspirations. <laughs> <laughs> and we're we're just jacking it in after we've blown the Campbell Town up. <laughs> <laughs> but we couldn't blow up, blow up a hostess tea trolley. That would be oh, no. That, 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 that would be that would That'd be, be just a step too far. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, have you got any more on your list, John? We've been talking for a while, but I'm quite uh, happy well, to I carry did, on. I did, I did reuse a lot of the British equipment and the German equipment. I did, um, I think Mark Freeth may have mentioned, I did um, Goodwood at the Holiday Centre. Yes, I think I've Goodwood. seen some pictures of that. That was Yeah, um, in the Normandy campaign. And we, um, I don't know if people know, but Mark's old setup used to be a six-foot table, three-foot gap, six-foot table, three-foot gap, three-foot table. Yeah. 
if you follow me, with a big gap down the middle for people to get it. So what we did, we went down there and I filled in all the gaps with extra boards. <laughs> and then there was great big holes in the middle of it, three yeah. foot holes, where a person would stand. And that was like, and then I'd put buildings around it. So that would be one of the villages yeah. or a large wood or something. So for that game, it was 27 foot by 21 foot, I believe, the game yeah. could be called as. And we did all of the initial opening moves of Operation Goodwood with, mm. again, um, Guards Armoured Division and lots of um, German defences, lots of, like, 88s and in-placed Pack 43s and all this, like, obscure stuff. Yeah. But that also, again, with Crossfire, but that also brought a new element to Crossfire, which I devised, which was um, a raid by Lancasters. <laughs> 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 the Allied player would pick a line of boards across his um, front Hmm. And that would be the line of boards that the um, the initial Allied air bombardment would take place. Hmm. And you could roll a dice; it might creep forward one way or creep forward the other way. So there was a danger, like in uh, Cobra, with the Americans getting yeah. accidentally bombed by their own B-17. So it started off. So so Crossfire, which began as a company level game with a tank or two, became a core level game with Lancaster support. You know, well, that, that's so what we like. With this <laughs> that's what we like Lancaster to hear. Bombing raid, and then uh, off they went, and. Um, Lots of lots of 88s, lots of Shermans getting brewed up, all very historical, and um, lots of little individually um, fortified little German towns. Well, I should say lots of towns fortified by the Germans and lots of weird, like, ex-French uh, stuff pressed back. Yes, yeah, because they, they, they brought a load of stuff in, didn't they? They had yeah, that, ta they had uh, that tank Becker, training school nearby, didn't they? Major Becker had, like, nailed lots of pack 40s onto Hotchkiss <laughs> chassis and all sorts of nonsense, which, of course, are... Uh, manna from heaven for model makers they love that sort of stuff oh you, god i could get yeah. lots of it easily and um uh we did all of operation goodwood again which was a huge game and I, again i've got there's some photos of it i'll send you but um that was great fun again because it was another massive game and people were in little holes in the middle of the board like popping up and uh, so that was their little village you know <laughs> was there like a navigation system under the table when you were crawling <laughs> under <laughs> It's like, it's like being underneath the Globe Theatre in London, you know, people yeah. are warning about popping up going, where the hell am I? <laughs> Look, so, I, yes, I that, that was great fun. That was um, that was really good. Because I also, for that, I expanded the force a little bit and had things like um, minefields and Sherman Crab flail tanks and bulldozer tanks and um, um, Sexton mobile artillery with shermans with dummy guns as spotters and all sorts of nonsense and i got to crack out a couple of tiger twos as well and oh perfect again lots of typhoons and cab rank typhoons and rules for aa fire and german 20 mil quads and all this sort of thing to um give the air player a little bit of tactical input as to what he was doing which direction he's going to attack from and what the aa could do to him if it was heavy aa or light flak mm. or whatever and then move lots of um more elements into it and uh germans using like old russian artillery howitzers and pieces like that and nebelwerfers affecting like an entire three-foot board but not being particularly effective but um being able to saturate an area and all sorts of stuff because with crossfire it's a very open system once you got past the mm. basics you could bolt on all sorts of weird nonsense and it just didn't affect it at all it was very robust in that way and i still like it now i still got a set myself yeah, it's, it's 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 a set that I've never I've never played I've never played or tried to to play. No, it was it was um, very revolutionary. Again, mm. no rulers, no ranges. If you can see it, you can shoot it. No fixed term times, 
it freaked out a lot of people, I must admit. Oh, I can imagine. You have to look after your flanks and because people could just wander all the way around your flank if you haven't defended it properly. Mm. Um, in one, so what, in what, one, what, what restricts the movement then? Um, the only thing that restricts movement is when the opposing player sees you, shoots you, and stops you, does something to you. Right. Okay. And your your inf- little infantry section is either perfectly okay or it's pinned, which means it can't move but it can fire. Yeah. Or it's suppressed, which means it can't move or fire. Yeah. Or it's killed, and that's yeah. um, and you can keep all the basic rules after half an hour in your head, and it's a. Uh, it's very, I mean, I don't like the term, or oh, it's an elegant system, but it is. It's very robust, <laughs> very elegant, and it's very, very simple, but it's, it's, it's really good. Mm. <laughs> I'm a big fan, really good. And because it's so robust, I said you can just bolt on all sorts of weird stuff to it, like, I, as I said, like Lancaster raids and cavalry, Cossacks, <laughs> and armored trains and uh, rolling barrages and, you know, all just all sorts of nonsense. HMS Campbelltown. Uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, if you uh, have you got any plans buzzing around your head for something? Uh, well, else? while I'm over here, my my big game plans do take a bit of a hit because I'm mm. I'm working a lot at the moment, especially at the moment. I'm trying to work as much as I can um, to well, to, you know, to pay the bills and stuff and all this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I do. I am sort of building up slowly lar- a large. Um, 40k army for apocalypse for the big rules of apocalypse because you need a lot of stuff yeah and I'm, i've managed to get hold of a couple of the large resin old star resin titans and i've got another couple um mm. sort of building when i get a chance and stuff like that so yeah i haven't got any major projects myself outside of just doing that at the moment um but i i sit here a lot with like sketchbooks and stuff and i design games you know i think oh you know i could do that and that and that and i could do that oh how about something based on most of el alamein or something you know i just sort of <laughs> like my mind wanders sometimes yeah. and i think oh yeah perhaps some of the um the big knightsbridge boxes in in the desert and have some big games based on mm. endless barbed wire and panzer threes and you know i'm thinking oh and i just like get my sketchbook and i'll start you know sketching stuff out i'm sure you know I'll be like an artist not appreciating his own time. People will find these when I'm dead and go, oh, look, he was a genius. And then yeah. somebody, else who knows what it, somebody else who knows what it is goes, no, he's not. He was an idiot. Look at the state of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah we go, oh, he, he, was, he was the start of the biggest movement. Yes, he was a visionary. No, he was, he was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, look at, look at this tiny two-foot square game that we've designed. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Somebody, <laughs> somebody will say, so he was an absolute visionary, and somebody else will say, like, no, he just didn't know when to stop. Yeah, Take, <laughs> taking it taking it too far. It was a good idea at six by four, but he's just taking it too far. Indeed. I I to be fair, as a self-promotion, I excel at taking things too far. I really do. And there's nothing wrong with that at all, mate. And that's no, there's that's no, there's no you know, there's, here. there should be there should be um no boundaries to nerdiness as far as I'm concerned. Excellent, excellent. If well, you're gonna be a nerd, be the biggest nerd you can be. And, and, and I, I, I can't disagree with that. And, and you, you talk, you're talking to the right guy here. You, you, there's no skirt. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm absolutely crap at skirmish gaming. We, um, we decided to do desert when Perry's brought the plastic. Um, oh yes, eighth army box yes, set very out. Much so. They, we, they were a shift, weren't they? Yeah, we, we, yeah. Um, we said right. Um, there's six of us who game it at my house regularly, and uh, we'll each buy a box of figures and a tank. And it, it, we're on, we we must be on a thousand figures and about lovely and about 
we the um, Blitzkrieg models had a 50% off Black Friday sale about five or six years ago. And we we, we bought well over 128 mil, mil tanks in that, plus all the other stuff that we had. And it's just gone crazy. And that's oh, our, so that, that, that's our skirmish level game. <laughs> Gives me a warm feeling in my heart. And um, also, you know, God bless the Perrys. They have done for gaming. Oh, my word. Yeah. So much. And they're, they're, all their stuff they're bringing out, all their Napoleonics, their Wars of Roses stuff I love, all that um, early Eighth Army and Africa Corps stuff, which was, uh, you know, quite a shift at the time into boxed plastic sets. It was quite a, a, a risk for them to go out and do all that mm. sort of stuff with the initial cost. They are, uh, you know, I, I can't say enough good things for them. They yeah. are, you know, the word legend is thrown about, but they are both, I mean, I've spoken to them a few times and they are absolute yeah. legends and lovely people. Well, they've opened up, obviously this is a big game podcast, they've opened up big game into a lot of people or oh, yes. the ability yeah. to big game because the, the cost of a... Um, I've just ordered a couple of um, units, 28 mil units from Gringo 40s, and that's cost me 75 quid. Yeah, yeah. I could go to, if I, if I smile nicely at Dave Thomas, 72 quid's going to get me four boxes, maybe yeah. five boxes of Perry's yeah, with 200 figures in. Mm. And that, that you know, I've, I've quadrupled the number of figures I've got for the same money. Um, and I, it, it's there's a lot of people who, who in the past have maybe bought to the financial side of a big game who yes, can now yes. go, you know what? Yeah, yeah 20, no, quid, a, they're, 20 they're quid a like, month. I'll there are box sets of Napoleonics and ACW and what have you. I just, um, as far as I'm concerned, they've revolutionized big games, especially, but also what people consider to be the cost of a cavalry regiment these days because an old, yeah. For instance, connoisseur and elite, you know, 48-man Austrian cavalry regiment. Now you can do it in plastic. And the figures also are absolutely beautiful. I mean, they're really, the quality of plastic stuff has just shot up. Yeah, because um, you, 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 know. you forget how big, certainly like Austrian, like you say, Austrian cavalry regiments are absolutely huge. And then mm. you'll see them, Warlord games, um, black, games of Black Cloud with like 12 figures. Yeah. It's like, mm, it needs to be a bit bigger than that, mate. Yeah, and, but, and, you know, and but the cost now. Some people like, you know, the cost of, uh, as you say, forty-eight plastics. You're not even going to be up to twelve metal, are you, with that? No, no. And then, then also the, the the quality is just superb, mm. absolutely superb. And they they when they do stuff, I mean, they know the Perrys know their subject as well, so they know that sometimes, for instance, sometimes a French line infantryman from the Polish Wars will tuck his forage cap into this particular place. And so they'll mould that on. So it's yeah. like the touches that they, and when they do like their medieval stuff, they'll really know about that. And uh, mm. it's just absolutely spot on, you know. And yeah. uh, I have nothing but massive praise for them. I think they're yeah. absolute visionaries, really. They really are. I've, I've found with their stuff that um, you can make like little vignettes within a within a pipe block for example just purely from the stuff that you get in the box oh, set you're not going yeah. off kit bashing and stuff definitely and they and they're like little metal ranges they release with each of their big plastic stuff to fill in and you get some uh like with the wars of roses range you get little wagons and mm. and uh women loading up barrels onto the back of a wagon and all this sort of little stuff and little vignettes with large bombard cannons and lots of guys running around and doing all sorts mm. of things and they just make the whole thing just look Again, a visual moving tableau, absolutely fantastic. I'd love to know how quickly they do a figure. Well, there was a, a thing on that 
TV show, um, How It's Made, which which dealt with them. Oh, right. I missed that one. It's very hard to find. I sort of hunted it down on YouTube, I think. Mm. And it showed how they did, I think it was British Napoleonic Hazards. And uh, it was fascinating. I, it could have gone on for two or three hours, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> as, a, as a sort of like engineer type myself, it was fascinating how they yeah. had to make the steel moulds and all this sort of thing for the injection moulded plastic. And the, the money and outlay, it was quite a thing for them to do, I think, when they first did it. I mean, obviously mm. now they've got good resources. They, they know what sells. But uh, mm. it was quite a step for them, I think, to do their first plastic box sets. And it, mm. I'm pleased that it's really paid off for them. Of course, other companies there like Victrix and what have you, Warlord, do the same sort of thing but i i yeah i'm a bit of a fanboy i have to say no very much so and and it's still all hand produced as well rather oh, than yeah. the there are other companies that although they're really nice figures you can tell that the, the computer designs rather than yes yes, than yes. Hand they're hand still stuff. you know green stuff over armature they're still mm. i you know i like that I'm like really old school mate old school yes, <laughs> old school is the, old school is the only school well, just before we go, John, um, I give everyone um, a, an opportunity at the end to ask me a question if you if you've got one. Um, did you think of one before? Has doing this podcast given you hope for the future of big games? There you go. Oh well, no, that is a good one because um, it has it has very much very much show. And I'm, um, for those who didn't listen to the pilot episode, um, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts to and fro work from work, and it's something I hadn't listened to for a long, long time. Uh, well, it's something I hadn't listened to at all because I was um, listening to music and um, talk radio and stuff like that, and I just wanted something relaxing. Um, and I enjoyed them very much, but there was very much a, an air of Oh, 28 mil. Oh, you can't do that in 28 mil. And oh, you, you know, you don't want to do a big table. And oh, 3,000 figures. Oh, that's way too many, that is. Um, so I kind of um, had a few beers one night and decided to, <laughs> decided to you know what? It should, yeah. be a, should be a big game podcast. And then Absolutely. after a few more beers, it was like, well, I'll bloody do it then because nobody else will. Um, so, yes, uh, it's, <laughs> I, I certainly hope it has. I've, I've, I've received um, quite a lot of um, support and emails and stuff, very positive. Um, good. Um, one, one guy wrote to me, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he said, thank F for that. I'm sick of bloody skirmish games. <laughs> <laughs> so, although, although there's no, there, there is, and I've said this, you know, before. There's no right and wrong in in a hobby. Everyone has their own little niches. Absolutely. Um, but sometimes, one of those niches gets forgotten about, and yeah. uh, the 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 big game was drifting out of fashion, uh, yeah. and and was not talked about. And, I, and I've been presently surprised by how many people listen to this and um how people and i've had one guy last couple of days ago go you know what can i listen to your podcast i'm not going to do a a big project or 100 oh, years well, that, war project he's, the, he's, um... yeah he's what his wife's packed bags and uh the dog's walking off behind him <laughs> <laughs> but surely you know someone inspired to do a big game is the best compliment you can get for this this series really exactly and, and that's what it's all about i'm not trying to i'm not trying to say any other type of gaming is wrong but i'm what i'm trying to say is that no, big gaming no. is absolutely superb but when you get this into is what it your podcast is about you know yeah other other games are also available but this is what you uh want yeah. to talk about so. you get you know, you know, once you get into it and you get the friends aspect and the social aspect yeah and um 
I've I've yet to have a conversation where anyone says to me, "Oh, 15 years ago we did this game and it was on a three foot square table and it was brilliant," and then go on to regale stories about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't have the guy at the no. end of the table with binoculars <laughs> shouting <laughs> at the guy who's running thirty core. Where the yeah. bloody hell are you? Exactly. You, yeah. You just, there's more. There's definitely more of a narrative and more of a story going on, simply because of the of the size of it. You know, yeah. you, you can't you can't avoid it really. Yeah, and the, and the people involved and the friendships that you make and the laughs that you have with a big game are, yes, are what it's all definitely, about. Definitely, yeah. The people playing the game. There's a lot of people, as I say, um, lots of my friends from the Huntingdon Club. They're all great, great guys, and they all played it in the spirit which I intended it to be played in. So I. I could not even get involved with the game. I just chatted to the public and, you know, yeah. answered questions, knowing full well they were going to just run it and do it. And uh, and they did. And it was terrific. So, Brilliant. yeah, as in most things in life, you know, the people you you do very, do these things would make all the difference. And um, if you surround yourself with the right people, then you'll have a, a far nicer life and a far better game as well. Without a shadow of a doubt. Well, yeah, we'll, say, we'll say goodnight at that point. John, thank you very much for your um, time this evening. It's been much appreciated. Thanks, well, John. thank you very much, Ken. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm, I've really enjoyed it, and it's been good fun to relive a lot of old nonsense that I'd forgotten about. It's very, <laughs> very deep away in my synapse, you know. So Brilliant. it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you very much indeed for giving me this ridiculous platform. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Good night, John. Good night, Ken. Good night. What an absolutely lovely chat that was with uh, John. And it's uh, it's great to find a, a similar mind, uh, somebody who thinks the same as me, uh, who looks at a table and uh, is never happy with the number of figures on it and always thinks uh, that you can get more figures on a table or more figures in a unit. And I'm, I'm glad, to, uh, glad to know that I'm not the only person who thinks that way. And um, I'm not going to ramble on at the end here because I, I appreciate we've gone over two hours, uh, which seems to be um, most people's uh, target, if you like. So that just leaves me to mention um, the uh, guest for the next episode, which will be episode 11, and uh, hopefully will be released on the 23rd of July. And in that episode, I am going to be speaking to Stephen Wald and Stephen is uh, a big uh, thing on the Twitters um, and his handle is at Old Wargamer and he was one of the original Wargamers uh, or first Wargamers on Twitter and uh, he's got quite a large following on there but he's into his big games he's got a lovely home set up uh, down in Australia um, so we're going to get a bit of a perspective on how the gaming hobby is uh, down um, down there and uh, looking forward to it it's going to be another great chat and I uh, hope to uh, see you then see you